Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's just, uh, what was it, like a week ago, we got swatted. Hmm. And as uh, Luke was discussing post-pandemic civil unrest, police officer walks in. And I'm sitting here and I see the door open. I see this cop just walk past me. And I'm like, what's going on? This cop's in out, outside the room. Another cop fans me over and I'm like, were we, you nuts? Like we're, we're, we're sitting here live. We've got tens of thousands of people. And uh, I wondered for a second if we were being raided like Project Veritas had been. Hmm. Like the police had come here to execute some kind of warrant. I had no idea. My first thought was like, okay, they, they, they came here exactly when we were doing the show on purpose, knowing that we were in a difficult position. And now they're going to use this because I'm unavailable to basically run strategy. And there's there's basically people here, security, and they're not going to know what to do in the face of this. And sure enough, the police, in my opinion, lied about exigent circumstances to enter the property and do that check. We had been swatted. There was claims of an active shooter. But once the police got here, they even say on, on, on their radios that they think it's a swatting incident. They were told explicitly not to come in. They came in anyway. Mm. As it turns out, we were not being raided or anything. But uh, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas were raided. And joining us to actually talk about the modern state of journalism is not just James O'Keefe, but also Andy No and Libby Emmons. So this should be a pretty insane conversation. Of course, Luke is here. Ian has the night off. Mm-hmm. James, do you want to introduce yourself for those that are not familiar with your work? Tim, my name is James O'Keefe, founder of Project Veritas, uh, author of a new book called American Muckraker Out a Week from Today. So um, thank you for having me back. Thanks for coming, man. We appreciate it. We got Andy. Welcome, Andy. Hi, Tim. Uh, it's an honor to be here in person, finally. Uh, I am a American independent journalist who writes about Antifa. I have a book out called Unmasked. It's out in paperback now in updated uh, new, new chapter. Right on. And of course, uh, everybody who's standing behind Andy can be seen on camera, <laughs> yeah. just so you guys know. Just so you guys know. Hi. And then we have Libby Emmons <laughs> of the Post Millennial. Hey, everyone. I'm Libby Emmons. I'm the editor-in-chief with the Post Millennial. And of course, Luke Rutkowski of We Are Change. Hey guys, you know, and the media is pretty bad. I would say just as bad to the point where some people are making t-shirts comparing the media to the <laughs> virus. I can't believe some people are doing that, but if, if you're interested in maybe some of those shirts and supporting We Are Change, you can go to thebestpoliticalshirts.com because you do. I'm here. Thank you so much for having me. This should be a great conversation. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, I think almost everyone in here will be in the gulags in just a few years. So welcome comrades. Thanks for coming. Indeed. I am also here in the corner pushing buttons i'm trying to do the sound and the cameras as you can tell i'm not doing the best job but i'm excited to have these lovely people here i'm stoked for tonight before we get started head over to timcast.com become a member because we're going to have a special uncensored members only podcast with everybody coming up around we post at around 11 or so p.m so go to timcast.com become a member help support the work we do support this show and all the journalists that we have on staff it is because of your membership we're able to keep doing this work so we appreciate it don't forget like the uh, like like this video smash <laughs> the like button i was like what's the word i'm like smash That's the, the like one. button so smash the subscribe button as well share this show with all your friends tell them we are going to be having a um well i gotta keep it family friendly i'll say something else we are all going to have a confirma- confirmation by a session ragging on the media yes and so we're really excited <laughs> that you're here and let's just uh let's just get started we'll talk with uh, about the modern state of journalism of course most of you know we hosted marjorie taylor green Within not even 24 hours, we were swatted. 
Then we hosted, I think, just just like the next show, I think, after that was Micro, mm-hmm. and we were slammed by a DDoS attack, which exceeded a gigabit, which for those aren't familiar, I'm actually fairly surprised that was able to happen. It was like a several gigabit international botnet that attacked us. And so the work we do just on a talk show is... It's dangerous, especially for the establishment, for powerful interests. And of course, the work that all of you guys do is extremely dangerous. And thus, let's just talk about what happened with you, James. You have a development on the the FBI raid on your headquarters and you. That's right. Uh, Well, the federal judge in New York, and thank you again for having me. um, A lot has happened since I last saw you, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. You've been raided. raided You (laughs) got swap people. I get raided by the FBI. and, um, and, And I'm proud to sit next here next to my friend Andy No. Andy is featured in the first chapter of this book, which the first chapter is called Suffering. Mm. It's called Suffering. The book American Muckraker. Yes. He, he's been through some physical violence. Um, I've been through a different type of violence directed at us through, from the state. Um, 10 to 12 FBI agents showed up at my house in November mm-hmm. and took my phones. Um, and we'll talk more about that here. But um, And they did that not despite the fact that that we're doing journalists, but because we're doing journal- journalism. And that's how far it's gotten. So um, a federal judge in New York, the Southern District of New York, also known as the Sovereign District of New York, because they're quite autonomous with their decision-making, uh, ordered the FBI to stop doing that and then order what's called a special master to oversee the FBI, which is very rare. You can count on one hand how often that happens. The federal judge citing journalistic privilege, Tim, and this federal judge was not a Trump appointee. It was an Obama-appointed federal wow. judge. And that what was amazing t- to me when that happened was that there, the ACLU defended us. The Reporters Committee defended us. The Society mm-hmm. of Professional Journalists defended us, which showed me there still is this very narrow consensus in this country between left and right. Um, so the, the, this today uh, we filed a motion that the U.S. attorneys are, argued that we should pay for – this special match. I think we have some wind coming in. Yeah, you can now. hear it whistling. Whistling. Maybe that's a sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ominous wind, right as we begin talking about Ominous your- <laughs> wind in the background. That's what that was. I don't like the that. soundtrack of our life. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so the U.S. attorneys, bottom line is the U.S. attorneys argued before the judge. And before they assigned the special master, the U.S. attorney said, Well, Your Honor, James O'Keefe is not a journalist. The judge asked, Why? And the U.S. attorneys, the prosecutors said, well, Your Honor, James O'Keefe does not get permission, consent from the people that he reports on. It's non-consensual reporting and recording. Wait, what the hell? Which is such an ir- <laughs> <laughs> That's like a two plus two equals five. But this is what they wrote in the motion. The judge rejected that argument. Thank God. There still is some sanity in New York and, and appointed this, this special master. But now the U.S. attorneys are saying we should pay. The, the journalists should pay. The government this is extraordinary. We, we should just let uh, um, the people of America know that at the New York Times, before they cover any story about, say, James, they call him and get permission first. Oh, or before yes, they yes. release you know, Donald Trump's tax records or his mm-hmm. personal information, they, of course, get consent from the people that they're reporting on all the time. You know, it's standard protocol. And definitely before someone gets doxxed. Like when the Obviously. New York Times uh, tried to dox Tucker Carlson, they, of course, got permission first. Or when CNN goes after grandmas who are posting on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Yeah. They definitely get permission from those grandmas. So this is an extraordinary <laughs> this is an extraordinary I guess Rubicon that we've not crossed yet. Now they're starting to put people in handcuffs for doing stories they don't want done. Right. Yeah, it's not enough to just censor the stories on social media. 
Now they yes. want to come after people for actually just doing the stories in the first place. I wonder what would have happened um, to the New York Post if these kinds of rules were in place last year. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and then the New York Times, and you did you did a few shows on this since I last saw you. The New York Times published my attorney-client privilege that's, documents. That, that's a whole and new level in, of insane. We, we could talk, we'd do a whole show on that. But, but what's fascinating is that the New York Times actually did an article saying it's a crime to transport stolen documents across state lines. State well, lines. I, well, I guess that, no, that's, that's actually what they the article their says. Lines. The New York Times says it's a crime to transport stolen, which means that every reporter at the New York Times should be in jail. Yeah. Because that's Especially called... Especially the reporting they did on you. Mm. And, I mean, maybe they should be raided by the FBI for publishing my attorney-client privilege documents. But but look at where the New York Times has gone. They've li- they, they're they not adversarial journalists. When they say that stuff, it's because they're the mask is off. The New York Times is a mouthpiece of the state or, or of some kind of establishment elitist power. They have a symbiotic relationship with the FBI and Pfizer. And that's ironic, isn't it? Mm. We, we, who was it who was on who was saying that uh, the New York Times, Badia Unger Sargon, that mm-hmm. the New York Times has effectively just decided their audience is the upscale, upper class, urban liberal, and they don't care about anybody else anymore. So that's just what they're going to pander to. I think that's exactly right. You can see in the way that their stories are written that that's what they're trying to do. I mean, if you read their stories in an NPR voice, it's exactly the same <laughs> as listening to NPR. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's a lot to say. I mean, I could talk for an hour about this, but there's a lot to unpack here. Well, so what's a special – so so let, let's start from the beginning. You were uh, investigating uh, – was it a story about Biden's daughter? Ashley Biden's diary, a yeah. source – and by the way, most people don't know that Ashley Biden has a daughter named mm-hmm. Ashley. Um, and there was a diary. Ashley, Joe Biden has a daughter named Ashley. Jo- sorry, Joe Biden has a daughter named Ashley. And some a source sent us this this document, this diary. Um, and uh, we looked into it. I made the decision not to publish it because I couldn't verify with 100% certainty that it was hers. I was like 99 or whatever percent, but I wasn't 100%. And even if I could verify that it was Ashley Biden's diary, I couldn't verify what she wrote in the diary mm-hmm. happened. Right. She talked right. about having inappropriate showers with her dad. Whoa. Does that mean yeah. that yep. she's – Wow. Yikes. What does that mean? And I felt like – you know. and by the way – this is this is the crazy part about this Twilight Zone dystopian series of events. Someone sends me something. I try to corroborate it. I'm unable to. And I say, well, let me try to give this back to her. She wouldn't take it. So I give it to law enforcement. What more could a responsible, ethical journalist, let alone human being, do? Hmm. And that's the scary part. What ought I have done? Yeah. What should I have done? But then they raid me. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and people come to my home at 6 a.m. I'm not a morning person. My first thought when they... Open up. My first thought was, sorry to bang on the table, but I, I, I'm, a, I'm a show person, is how much time do I have until they break the door down? And I'm, I'm waking up, I'm pounding, I'm waking up, and I'm thinking, okay, let me run to the door, like in my underwear, and then I go to open the door, and then before I turn the door, I was like, are they going to shoot me? In like, how do I do too. this in a way where I don't get killed? And I open the door, and there's all these bright lights, and they put me in handcuffs. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Were you in your underwear? Yes. Mm. I mean, I just woken up. Yeah. And and then they throw me against the hallway wall outside my apartment. My neighbors are – I mean, this is – I think uh. I'm, on, I'm under arrest, but for what? Hmm. 
What have I done? They actually arrest you and take you? They put me in handcuffs, and and then eventually they showed me a search warrant. Wow. On the search warrant, it listed, I'm not making this shit up, accessory after the fact and misprison of a felony. Accessory after the fact. These These are, they haven't been charged with anything, but these are absurd insinuations of a crime. Again, if it's a crime to be sent a document which may or may not be stolen, then you might as well jail all the journalists in America. So there was a theory, James, what was happening here. I mean, obviously you made the right moves. You went to the authorities. You weren't sure, so you didn't publish. You did everything right here, but they still decided to raid you. And and people are, are theorizing that they did this because there could have been federal agents that were the ones that originally sent you this diary to kind of set you up to get an excuse to get into your electronic devices because they knew potentially someone else was reaching out to you for a bigger story that they needed to stop. That's one of the theories out there. Do you think that's true? Because every step of the way here, the feds acted incorrectly. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to... That is a theory. Is it a pretext? Is it a form of intimidation? I mean... Even the New York Times reporter Mike Schmidt was like stumbling and bumbling and fumbling on MSNBC when asked, well, what did they really raid the home if it wasn't actually by a diary? A diary? Well, so, it's just it's just so crazy. It, it, there's no answers. Does, to, that, does that authenticate the diary then? I would I would think so. Mm-hmm. And that then implicates uh, – well, then you've got witness corroboration if the diary is true about inappropriate behaviors with children from President Joe Biden. It wouldn't be the first time there have been these insinuations. I've seen the videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either. The persistent right. sniffing. Mm-hmm. Uh, James, I do want to say that I think you made the right decision in passing up on uh, the contents of the diary when you were originally in possession of it. What I tell young journalists and new journalists is that if you cannot 100% verify something, you don't report it out. Correct. Even on, even on that 1% of doubt, and that means often you miss out on scoops that end up being accurate that other people pick up and it's unfortunate and it's disappointing when that happens but um i i wish the new york times had your standards i wish <laughs> cnn and msnbc because they'll just say like you know source says i i love when they'll say like a source close to donald trump's people you know, familiar uh, with the matter people familiar <laughs> with trump's thinking have said yeah. he is he wants to beat children or some insane Tim, nonsense. The, the new york yeah. times andy the new york times did a story about the uh, they published the attorney client memos and a judge in new york has has done the extraordinary act of telling them to sequester those attorney client memos and the New York Times wrote a headline that said, documents show how far deceptive reporting practices could go before running afoul of federal laws. Do you know another way to say that? We check with lawyers to make sure everything we were doing was legal. <laughs> but do you I see how that. they worded it? Mm-hmm. They, they, it's not so much that they lie. It's that they use this sort of – you have to like twist the newspaper article a little bit to know what they're saying. They don't say what's false. They omit and well, so so that that statement's true, right? But it's framing. It's framing it in a, in a nefarious. It sounds like we we skirted the law, and that's the, the scariest part about this whole ordeal because it was a little terrifying. Is that what was I supposed to do? You think? Do I hindsight? Right? What more could we have done? We even called. We even contacted the Biden campaign and tried to ask for comment. But the New York Times framed that as leverage. We tried to <laughs> leverage the diary. And then Rachel Maddow said, we tried to extort the president. So a request for comment becomes leverage, becomes extortion. Yep. Do you see how the game is played? 
And yeah. and it's very terrifying at times. I, I will I will say too, not to, not to derail too much, but uh, you know CNN's ratings are down ninety percent. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in the key demo, they barely get viewers at all. It's probably just hotel lobbies. So I don't know if that's any <laughs> consolation. It's probably not. But I, I, when, when Rachel Maddow talks and 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 these stories break, I don't know if it's going to matter in five or ten years because they're losing. Yes, but when you have a dying animal, they usually act the most violent right before they die. Well, and that's what they're doing. They're giving up all of their standards. Yes. And then we, when we look at, you know, the state, it, it is in, in, in a place that's extremely vulnerable. The, the official story, the official narrative that they told us for two years now is breaking, shattering right in front of our face. And then people are realizing, hey, we were lied to. Throughout recorded human history, whenever there's pandemics, usually it leads to civil unrest. So there's a big yeah. probability that this is going to happen happen here and i think they're trying to hit the mole with the hammer as much as they can there's a lot of moles popping up but i think there's there's uh, a lot of anger by the within state. minutes the the handcuffs were still my wrists were still sore within minutes of this happening i got a text message from mike schmidt at the new york times national security reporter how the hell does he know mm. yep. this, the contents of a secret grand jury subpoena and why the hell are they leading me to the execution chamber I am on the same team as these people. We are supposed to be speaking without fear or favor, which was the quote from Adolf Aux or whatever his name was, the founder of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just mention Project Veritas had one of the most important uh, bits of uh, one of the most important stories probably of our generation, the ABC Amy Rohrbeck story with Epstein, which contributed to this major uh, uh, investigation. Which ultimately, I think the, the Maxwell case is kind of being covered up. We can get into that stuff, but uh, Veritas that's not partisan. When you report on the story saying, this is a, 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 a journalist saying, I had the interview, I had the story, and it right. didn't get out. That was exposing powerful establishment elites covering up a very serious scandal as an understatement. That's right. But why is the New York Times going after you? Is it, you know, it, it's, not, it's not just the New York Times. I mean, it is, it is all of these news outlets that falsely frame everything about Veritas in, in an effort to harm you. When uh, you're doing stories about, you know, powerful corporations, and it's also uh, journalists should media. be on your side. And it's also all the social media companies right? have I, come after you, and they recently pulled one of your employees off as well. Eric Spracklin yeah, is standing Eric, in the room with exactly. me. Although I will say, and I want Andy to get in here, but we've trended on Twitter almost every story we've done. The, That's the, correct. The, the story we did last week on the Pen- yeah. uh, Pentagon Papers, Department of Defense documents, which effectively are Pentagon Papers, trended number one on Twitter. I'm banned on Twitter. Project Veritas is banned on Twitter. But what do you think, Andy? Well, it's it's not a side detail that uh, an agent of the state uh, is working with media organizations um, to be the first to break these stories that are extremely damaging where, you know, you don't have to be charged with any crimes. It's the investigation and the reporting and media coverage on it that destroys reputations. And what happened to James here with how he, while uh, he still had marks on his hand from the handcuffs, that like he's getting requests from the press for comment mm-hmm. when nobody else knows about it. Obviously, agents of the state is uh, working with the journalists and leaking information. Similarly, when, when Roger Stone was arrested and CNN had yep. been tipped off with the helicopter, I think I, I just I just say, you know, when you look at despotic regimes and tin pot uh, uh, democracies, like these are like characteristics of it. For, it, it no, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it, I mean, this is disturbing. And I, I don't I, I, I it surprises me that so much of the American public just kind of shrug their shoulders and. You know, pra- praise these uh, right. media organizations. When I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking right now. You know, with with the the, the the state, you know, colluding with these 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 big media companies to cover up malfeasance and corruption. 
it, it, it's, it sounds fascistic. And I just wish there was maybe some organization, maybe that was called like something opposed to fascism, like, like no fascism or maybe anti, anti-fascism. We'll call it anti-fuck for short. And they would stand up to this kind of collusion between state and massive, powerful private enterprise. Yeah, where, where's that at? Where, where is the actual, and I, I know obviously, duh, we know anti fascist but I'm like, where's the actual opposition from, from activists to say, you know, this is a bad thing. Now, that being said, I will stress, James, you did get defended by some of these institutions like the ACLU. I did. Because mm-hmm. they crossed the line so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the ACLU was like, well, I guess we have to say something. One of the things that the – I hate to put it in left-right terms because increasingly this seems to be about good versus evil. And I don't necessarily think those lines are clear. But the left tends to overplay their hand. They tend to take it too far and it ends up biting them in the ass. That was a beautiful moment when Ben Smith at the New York Times, and if Ben is watching this, Ben Smith, media columnist, New York Times, defended me. He was the first person. This was a few days afterwards, and he says, journalists should not be cheerleading this. If you look that's, at that tweet, yeah, he right. got ratioed yeah. hardcore. No, put that O'Keefe in jail. Yep. They don't care. They just want to jail, jail their, and, and people who say lock her up and all that. Like, I feel like, are we so Manichaean that we need to jail people who disagree with us? No. But Ben defended me. And after Ben did, he gave all these other people the permission to do so. ACLU, society, you know, all That's these right. organizations. Um, and by the way, Ben Smith is leaving the New York Times. Why is he doing that? Great question. And we can, I can also report to you that there's kind of a schism inside the New York Times. Well, it's not the first time. I mean, the, the major schism happened when Tom Cotton's op-ed ran and it destroyed the op-ed section of the New York Times. Barry Weiss left. That's right. The whole newsroom got shaken up. Um, that was an insane thing that happened that Tom Cotton saying that the federal government should intervene in cities and deal with the civil unrest that was happening. Um, it broke the New York Times. Mm-hmm. It broke the New York Times. And the editorial page uh, editor, whose name escapes me, uh, uh, one we released on a deposition tape. Oh, uh, James Bennett. James Bennett. I have a posse. I have my entourage <laughs> yes. here. We always travel with an entourage at <laughs> Project Veritas. Uh, James Bennett was an actually a pretty moderate guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't, yeah. And they made him out to be a devil. So I can report to you, because I have sources. Anonymous um, sources? Well, <laughs> people I've covertly recorded I haven't released yet, <laughs> <laughs> who have told me there is a schism there. But, Tim, that was a beautiful moment in, in my life, watching people who hate us. I think there still is some principle. There still is some overlap between the left and right in our society. There, there I think there's... there. Uh, it's probably a bit reductive or um, maybe simplistic, but there's two big camps when it comes to whatever's going out the establishment. People who are willfully lying and manipulative for power and people who are blindly going along and maybe just scared. So there's probably a lot of people who saw what happened with the New York Times and mm-hmm. Tom Cotton's op-ed, and they're like, I just want to get through this. The problem I have with these people, it was uh, Clifton Duncan tweeted something. I'm probably going to screw it up, but he said... That he's less concerned about those that are overtly engaged in malfeasance and evil, and he's more concerned about those who know what's going on but won't speak up. Mm-hmm. I saw that, too. I thought that was really fascinating and made a lot of sense. He's right. Well, the New York Times are also being kind of eaten up by hedge funds and the people who truly own them. I think this is why Jeff Bezos bought the Washington uh, Times because people, Washington, Post. The Post. Washington Post, excuse me, uh, because people are understanding this, this quote by Lord Northcliffe when he said, quote, news is what somebody somewhere wants to suppress. All the rest is 
advertising. These people are buying advertising. They're buying PR. They're buying favors for themselves, literally trying to brainwash the American public so their agenda, their narrative will pass and clear no matter how absurd they still push these ideas because these ideas are way more important than even the money that they put into these institutions that they're losing. What's so fascinating about that, though, is so we're at the post-millennial we, you know, I kind of think of us as the antidote to fear, right? We're not corporate. Uh, we're a small outlet. You know, Andy and I run stories there all the time. Um, and what's really interesting is that we're getting attacked. You know, we get attacked by these activists who are saying that we are aligned with specific interests. And we're not. They're defending the big outlets, the big corporate media outlets that are aligned with specific interests. And here we are just like... You know, covering news stories, covering what we think is interesting, trying to get the truth out there. And they attack us for doing that. Well, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post in 2013. Mm-hmm. And after uh, Google and Facebook snatched up most of these advertising models, hedge funds like Alden Global Capital, everything's been consolidated. Newspapers are gone. Investigative journalism is gone. ABC News cut their whole investigative bureau. And Jeff Bezos, in an extraordinary admission of the power of narrative amplified through big tech through his ownership of the Washington Post said, quote, on a Medium post, my ownership of the Post is something I will be most proud of when I'm 90 and reviewing my life. Mm-hmm. Not his rocket, Dr. Evil rocket ship company. Not his Washington, not, not his Amazon company. No, no. His ownership of the Washington Post is his biggest achievement. And I found that really a amazing insight into the power of narrative. I think the Washington Post and the New York Times, I may be giving them too much credit, are more powerful than all three branches of government because government speaks through them. Big tech prefers them in their algorithms. Big tech doesn't do any journalism. They just prefer – what do you think? Wait, did Bezos say that before he became a spaceman? (laughs) Yes. With his wiener rocket? He's not proud of his wiener rocket? So although he was formulating that. But but just one one extra point here. It's not just hedge funds. It's not just just Jeff Bezos. It's also Bill Gates that donates hundreds of millions of dollars to the corporate media. They don't don't need donations, but they willingly take it. And with that money, of course, comes the narrative that they push. If you're you're one of the higher-ups of these companies, and I've seen this firsthand, and you're looking at your bottom line, you don't care about the politics of the individual person writing stories. You just don't want to lose money. The guys who run the businesses don't care about news. I, I've, I, when I was at that ABC News company, that ABC New, uh, Fusion. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Their attitude from the, at the high, higher level was, what are we going to get clicks on? So hire the people who write about the things you think will get clicks. The marketing guys then said, we got to do woke stuff. That's the, the way forward. Okay, then hire young woke people and tell them to write about what they care about. They didn't, they didn't care if it was real. They didn't care. I was told, what, side with the audience, they said. Mm-hmm. 
side with the audience. That means if there is a news story that is factual but would be offensive to the audience, we don't cover it. Mm. That's that's the modern uh, – like I mentioned with the New York Times, or I should say to to quote uh, – I think it was Batia uh, Ungar Sargam that the New York Times has found their audience. They've said, screw everybody else, and that's what they're going for. But that's what almost every organization does, especially right now. I don't care, I don't care who they are. 90% of all media outlets are like, we've got an audience, and we're going to cater to that audience. And that's the, wrong, that's the inverse of what they ought to be doing. Right. There's a, a journalist named Clarence Jones, and he wrote, we, he wrote about journalism that journalistic publishers need to be like bosses with balls. They need to have integrity. At Veritas, we're a nonprofit. People say, what's your business model? We have you know, 800,000 people give us money, sometimes a dollar, sometimes $10,000. But we choose the hardest stories. And we don't settle lawsuits because – and this is the real crux of this book, American Muckraker, secrecy, transparency. We don't settle lawsuits, Tim, because I don't fear people inspecting my operation. Please do depose me. Hmm. I like being deposed. <laughs> they don't like being deposed. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when they enter discovery process of litigation, you can see all the lies under oath. Did you guys know that uh, Donald Trump at his rally in Arizona banned FJB icons and merchandise and shirts that. and all that stuff? Really? And yep. I got no problem. We have that on TimCast.com. We have a full report where the security guys telling people to take their shirts off, take their hats off. You know, so people will say that, you know, this show or me or Trump supporters are right wing. I think the SPLC was like Tim Pool is a right wing, you know, something or other who supports Trump. And I'm like, uh, no, I just don't lie about him. Like, That's actually Luke, Luke criticized amazingly it. respectful of what Trump did. I really respect that Banning a lot. Banning the FJB that he, he banned it. I mean, and a lot of was, a lot of Trump supporters didn't. Well, like well, that. Well, he a said lot this, of Trump supporters didn't after, like that, but, but he had four years of people saying that to him as the president, mm. and I think he probably knows how much that sucks to but be he, like in charge of everything and have people keep saying like, you know, FDT at you all the time. Yeah, but I he said this. That. He said this on the heels right after saying that it's hard to criticize Joe Biden because Joe Biden complimented him on all the work that he did with the vaccine. But, well, but right, that, but 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 that's sort of a that's a different situation. I mean, and also let's not forget, like Donald Trump was a president. He was holding executive office. Uh, has there ever been a president who's really worthwhile? I mean, come on, like this is. Well, I think they should be criticized to the full extent, but no, we shouldn't do that. I, I agree that, too. That, 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 that's the point. I don't want to. But I respect you know, a, pres- yeah. a former president saying, "Don't say that about the current president." But the, 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 I respect the, that. The the important issue I'm, I'm I guess I'm trying to get to is what the media is willing to say, who they're willing to criticize. How often does CNN run? You know, Joe Biden has screwed this up, screwed that up, screwed this up. They did. They what was it? Trump's coverage was ninety eight percent negative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, there is a lot of negative coverage coverage about Joe Biden. And I think what happens is around August of last year, when we saw this flip in approval rating, like you were mentioning, once someone says something, it makes it okay for the establishment or for the for the for the you know whatever you want to call it, Democratic mm-hmm. position for the most part. All of a sudden, people start ragging on Biden, and then we see some articles popping up where they're like, oh, okay, maybe there's something here. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the media is unwilling to step out of line with their own audience. And most, and some of that's economics, and some of that is because they, there's been a proximity to their sources. They don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. And that's the difference between sort of the, the journalism that we're talking about in American Muckraker, and their, their journalism is to represent, to be the ombudsman for the, the so-called administrative state. Our whistleblowers release information the administration, administrative state does not want revealed. That makes all the difference in the world. When a two-star general talks to the New York Times via anonymously, we don't know the cadence or intonation of what that – we don't know what what that person is actually trying to say. And now they, they throw out these terms misinformation and disinformation. We've talked about the New York Times lawsuit that I'm embroiled right. in, which is fascinating because the New York Times admitted, Tim – 
in the response to our defamation lawsuit. They got the facts wrong, and they still haven't corrected the article. They admitted in court. They got it wrong. The guy had more than three ballots. They said it wasn't illegal. They admitted in court it was, and the article remains online uncorrected. Have there been, any, have there been any fact checkers on this one? Has the New York Times Facebook traffic been suppressed as a result? The New York Times <laughs> thinks they're above the law. No, I'm, I'm they, they sure. Think they're, I, I say, they, you know, Dean Baquet, famously executive editor of New York Times, Dean Baquet says we don't get religion. The New York Times thinks they're God. Yes, they do. They thought they were God for a very long time. What force or or – organization on planet earth can hold the new york times accountable can anyone Mm-mm. they lie no one cares G- google and twitter prefer them in the algorithms yes, i sued them i sued them we sued them for defamation and won mm-hmm. a victory and they still haven't corrected the article in fact they're attacking the judge personally and viciously yeah which is something you shouldn't do by the way i i was surprised to see that to be honest because you're just gonna make the judge rule against you but the New York Times is probably thinking in the short term, yeah, we'll probably piss the judge uh, judge off in the long term. He won't he won't retain power. And if it goes to the Court of Appeals, highest court in New York State, they don't care. And if it goes to the Supreme Court and they lose, they'll say Trump court. Yep. Think of it. There's nothing that can hold them accountable. And I think that I think that they are more afraid than I am of them. I I know that to be true. But this term misinformation, Tim, I think it's really about distrusting people to draw the acceptable conclusion based upon facts that are admittedly true. I don't I, think it's about untrue facts anymore. I think, look, we've, let, me, let me pull up the story and get your thoughts on it. This is uh, uh, ABC7. Nearly half of Democrats say fines and prison time appropriate for questioning vaccines, just questioning them. They also said there's, I believe, 45% would in turn uh, uh, the unvaccinated, meaning they would take you to a designated isolated facility. I think 59% were in favor of house arrest, so when you see the alignment of the New York Times, when you see the media, when you see that there are this many people in this country who are willing to outright just arrest someone for speaking out against them, it kind of sounds like it's beyond just a, a, the media. There's, there's something deeply rotten expanding or growing within the core of, of the American it's, psyche. It's a core value. It's, it's, it's a, 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 the, the primary value of, of American society, which were part of the American founding. I mean, this goes back to, you know, Cicero, <laughs> you have to have information to make informed decisions, and that's the whole. That's why the First Amendment's first. It's a cliche. I, I question whether half of Democrats actually believe that. I, I think that's probably. I, I I'm skeptical about yeah. the amount well, of people the media is telling you actually believe. Well, but this, what was the actual question on the on the poll? That's, I suppose that would be a good one to pull. We, up. we, we, could, we could definitely look that up. But I think yeah. the scarier aspect here is that a lot of these things that some of these Democrats are calling for are policies that are implemented already in other parts of the world. And Democrats and other establishment statists want to implement here in the United States. Twenty nine percent, according to this Rasmussen poll of Democrats, supported taking children away from people if they refused to take the vaccine. That's a policy that has already been instituted in some places in Canada. When we're talking about when we're talking about detaining people, that's happening in Austria and Australia and in other parts around the world already. So we have to understand that this slippery slope to dystopian, total totalitarian nightmare crap hole society is very close to happening well, because of this kind of echo chamber delusional thinking that's being perversed no, 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 by no, no, the corporate no. media. So, so what, what I see happening is that 
there are very evil people, like James mentioned earlier, it's a battle between good and evil, who know full well what they're doing and what their plans are. They want to lock you up. They want to take away your rights. And they're lying about you on, perf- on purpose, gleefully, willfully. And we're having a fairness battle. I don't think we're, that they're going, going to, to win. I'm actually quite hopeful. Everyone's cynical and, mm. and it pisses me off. I mean, I talk about this too in this book, a chapter called Propaganda. Um, consent must be informed, not manufactured. All serious theories of democracy were a republic, which is also a democracy, including the economic theory, hinge on the notion that voters have reliable access to information. I think technology allows us to do that. Again, let me remind your audience, I am banned on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I, my organization's banned on Twitter. And our story was the number one trending story in the world. Why? Because of the information that we released. D- documents inside the Department of Defense, DARPA, a Marine Corps major fellow at the Department of Defense, wrote about this COVID and wrote about the fact that uh, uh, it was too risky for the Department of Defense to approve um, what, what was going on. And that story, it was about the, the strength of the information. And I believe that human nature is such that if people are able to see it for themselves, first-hand participant journalism, not second-hand anonymous sources, I think we're going to prevent society's collapse by continuing I, to do that journalism. I agree. I think it's working. We, I mentioned this with you know CNN and MSNBC having a ratings collapse. Getting back uh, uh, to the to, to the the darkness of this, when we see this poll from Rasmussen, I, I do think it's fair to point out that maybe maybe it's a bad poll from Rasmussen. Maybe, maybe the questions aren't right, but who knows? But I will say this: Kamala Harris f- raise, was raising money through Twitter to bail out rioters. You know, uh, in 2020, some of the most extreme riots I've ever seen. When I talk to people, I can't in remember. Minneapolis. In yeah, Minneapolis. Minneapolis but no, no, but, but, but right? not only that, but I mean, the riots were across the country. So when we, when we're seeing some of the worst riots we've seen in 50 years, maybe, and I talk to people about the potential for civil conflict, civil unrest or whatever, and they say, oh, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. It's because we're frogs in a pot that are boiling. When, Andy, you report on this stuff, you, you expose who these violent extremists are. The media lies about you. Mm-hmm. All of these different institutions lie about you. They make things up. It, there, there is, there is, I don't know how you describe it. I call it a cult. They're, they are in, they are in line with each other, but it's not like they actively collude at a, at a, at a national level where like a message goes out and they say, everyone say Andy knows, you know, wrong. They just all do it. Yeah. I, I was quite naive in, in 2019 before I became more of a, a well-known figure and I was just regional person in the Pacific Northwest. After my, uh, assault, uh, in the summer of 2019, that, punches kicks in the the milkshakes the hospitalization for the traumatic brain injury um i was naive enough at the time that i thought the media organizations would be be out to support me i remember jake tapper i I believe was one of the very few center-left journalists who issued a a tweet that condemned what happened to me and i really appreciated that and he got so much blowback uh blowback that he ended up deleting that that wow really and then all the hit pieces mm. came out uh, in a way that seemed sort of coordinated and, and James can speak to this. And I was watching kind of in real time with in fascination at how they can destroy someone's reputation. So uh, there was initial outpouring support for me. So then what happened was a local blog in Portland interviewed somebody and gave this person a pseudonym. So I have no idea who this person is who accused me of uh, being in collaboration with this far-right group in Portland. So one, I couldn't I couldn't confront my accuser. Uh, legally, I couldn't do anything either. We don't even know the identity of this person, so we can't even write a cease and desist letter. And then this damning story and headline, which is false, 
from the port that was published in Portland Mercury. They never reached out to me for comment, by the way, was then repeated in other publications yep. like uh, Slay and, and Vox, et cetera, et cetera. And then that is cited in your, in your Wikipedia. And then when somebody Googles you who doesn't know who you are, that's the first thing they see. And that is your reputation. I, I wonder how long it's going to last, though. You know, they go after Joe Rogan, the most popular podcast in the world. And the stupidest thing you can do is lie about Joe because the 11 million people on average who watch his show, the 50 million who've seen some of his biggest shows, the people who are fans of MMA and know him or who just watch his Netflix stand-up, they see this story and they go, yeah, that's not true. And all of a sudden, you lie about someone as popular as Joe and people start waking up. And now we're starting to see it. We're seeing a major shift. This uh, poll came out. Gallup released this, one of the most credible polling institutions, that as of the fourth quarter from 21, more people identify as Republican or Republican-leaning than Democrat for the first time since I believe it was 1991. There actually may have been a period around the, the 2000s where it was fairly even between the two. But this is a, a gap now of five points, right? I, I'm not saying Republicans are the right answer or that, you know, Democrats are always the wrong answer. But regular people are looking at the establishment they're associating it with one side of the political spectrum and saying, I don't want to have anything yeah. to do with well, that. Well, it's not just Joe. It's Joe also influencing people like Dana White, influ- influencing people like Aaron Rodgers that are going out there and speaking these larger truths. And some people would say breaking the mass psychosis, the mass formation psychosis that, of course, the corporate media in unison tells us doesn't exist, as, of course, the Financial Times literally calls for psyops, as, of course, even the Canadian Joint Operations Command even admittedly said that they have relied on propaganda techniques used in Afghanistan with COVID because they saw it as a unique opportunity to test out their propaganda techniques on the general public. You know, what you were saying about uh, Joe Rogan, that's why they try and silence him. That's why these doctors and researchers and scientists came out to try and... Not fair to call him that. What? Doctors? Not fair to call them the doctors anymore. Because mm. oh, the list yeah. had like a campus right. farmer on it. Yeah. Oh, it, a campus farmer. Yeah. Yeah. It was less than a hundred <laughs> medical doctors. Some okay, of them not even practicing. Did they have I'm a like PhD? a dentist. Okay. Yes. So the, the, the letter written by a bunch of hacks, who yes. a few of whom claim to be doctors, apparently. Yeah. Um, you know, they're going after Joe Rogan. They're going after all of these people because they don't, uh, they don't understand that the American people can see lies that they can see, you know, these falsehoods that are being uh, forced upon them. And, you know, Americans go after the truth. That's one of, I think, but, but our I think I want to go back to what Andrew was, was saying, because you're, you're, you're talking to a man here who has effectively suffered. I think that's fair to say in some form or another. This is traumatic. I will speak personally. I, I suffered a, a kind of a form of PTSD after my New Orleans incarceration. Mm. And I was reminded of that. After the FBI raid, at least for a day or two, I, I did. People say, are you scared? Well, of course, you're human. I mean, I, I've, I've pretty much removed most of my desire to be liked by these people. I'm, I'm almost down to completely zero. I'm never going to be fully zero because I'd be a sociopath if I was zero. But I just want to talk a little about that for a minute because it's a theme that I think is very important to discuss here because it is a prerequisite for being effective. You know, I wrote about this, that, that this is an age where the loss of one's Twitter account is treated like the loss of one's life. Imagine if everyone watching this did not care if they took away the Twitter account. What impact could they have on you? Your reputation. What does that mean? Your Wikipedia page? Taking away, deplatforming you? But the moment you stop worrying about that and you don't let that handcuff you, pun intended, <laughs> is the moment you're actually able to actually be free to do the things and do the journalism. And I, and I know what it's like. I, I articulate this in 
words better than I, I can off the cuff. No one can deprive me of my reputation or Andy of your reputation. They've already been deprived. We've already been deprived of that by, by declarations from credible journalists. That's not credible journalists. How are these journalists credible? They're credible by virtue of the decree that they are indeed credible because they say so. And to see that happen, it's traumatizing. It can make an otherwise confident man question your own perception of reality. In the beginning, it did. In the beginning of my journey, I questioned my own perception of reality. And But once you get through that and get through the other side of it, which I think you have, I think any any survivor of that sort of abuse develops superpowers. Like you're a, you're a stronger man than you were. You're a better journalist than you were. And you're wiser than you were. And what I've learned is the moment you – I've said this to you before. Thank it's you. a cliche. The moment you really stop caring about what Wikipedia thinks of you and what Jack Dorsey thinks of you. They've already taken away our Twitter accounts. Eric lost his this week. We have no more Twitter accounts. Well, We're still trending on Twitter. Jack's gone. For all you know, he actually likes what, you. For, for, Jack is a metonym for whoever the CEO is. At this point. <laughs> but the moment you stop giving a shit about what they think about you is the moment you're free. Oh, you yeah. It was, a, it was a magic moment. I remember uh, during Occupy Wall Street, I got a big surge of followers on Twitter. And with that, a big surge of people saying really mean things to me. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced a wave of hundreds and thousands, hundreds to thousands of people just saying the nastiest fake things about me. And for a minute, I kind of freaked out. I was like, what does this mean for me? What is this going to be? What is it? What is it going to do? Am I going to be able to keep doing this? Am I going to be able to work? And then went to bed and woke up. Made some food, had some bacon, <laughs> watched some TV, and then I was like, nothing's happening. It gives you tough skin. But nothing happened. Yeah. And then, and then bacon after, helps a lot of things, yeah, though. It bacon does. Really it's helps. true. <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm living my life like normal. And after a little while, I was like, I just figured something out. I can turn off the notifications, and then it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And there we are. <laughs> now I just don't have notifications turned on. It, Why listen to these people? And being offended is a choice. People need to understand that if someone is attacking you, if, if you're giving them uh, power in that by reacting to it, you're, you're, you're playing into their games. And I think a lot of us in this room have dealt with a lot of crazy stuff. Me and Tim had to deal with a police raid as well. Uh, you know, guns in the face, everything. You know, I was arrested. I was beat up. Andy, you were beat up. Tim, you were jumped. Uh, I think, you know, James, you went through your stuff. And then the, the, the amount of craziness that we have to deal with, we have to understand is, is nothing new. This is something that, of course, the, the the people who don't like the bigger truths exposed, usually those are the techniques they use against effective people exposing them. Look what happened to MLK. Look how the FBI treated him. The FBI literally spied on him. They got tapes of him. They sent him letters trying to get him to commit suicide. And this is the Federal Bureau of Investigations decades ago going after people who are changing society. And I would argue that the world is round and that catches up with the bad guys. Yes, they did all those things to him. And it is Martin Luther King Day. But as Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral universe bends long, but it bends towards justice. So the bad guys don't get I've seen in my life these bad guys. It always catches up to them. Yeah, they get away with it for a little while. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But right? Well, you know. Well, look, so we, we, we talked a bit about law enforcement, we, we, FBI, going after uh, you, James. But I'm interested to hear from you, Andy. You're dealing with a, with a different kind of bad guy. You're dealing with... Extremist organizations that are really angry. You've been exposing a lot of their people and their their uh, um, violent groundwork, we can call it. Not only are you dealing with these people making up lies about you, posting constantly, but physically attacking you and threatening you. So I'm interested in, in, in this perspective, your take on journalism. You know, we, we've heard from James on the institutional powers, but what's happening with groups like Antifa and these other far-left far left extremists targeting you? I Well... What crucially, what makes them particularly empowered is that their the narratives that they are able to spread in the mainstream press uh, haven't really been challenged. Um, you see it every day. So um, the various riots that happened um, after Trump were, were elected were treated essentially peaceful protests of people reacting in anger against his his election win. Rather than, rather than as people who were rejecting th- and using violence to voice their opposition to a, uh, you, the electoral process. You're saying there, there was an insurrection among the far left in DC where they smashed windows and set limousines on fire and were attacking people. Yeah, so the language I'm really matters, right? Yeah, yeah, language really matters. What, what, pay attention to what is described as a peaceful protest, mostly peaceful protest versus uh, insurrection, right? Like they, the, it's not, the differences are, uh, uh, that, that contrast is intentional. And, um, Antifa rely on allies in the press because obviously what they do is, would be unpalatable for the majority of the public if the public was accurately informed. This, you know, those wanton acts of arson, maiming and injuries of other people, killing people, carrying out terrorist Attacks such as attacks on government buildings, government facilities, police stations, uh, trying to derail uh, trains. They actually did derail a train, didn't they? Yeah, there were two convictions last year in Washington <sighs> State, and that claim. Where, uh, where's the? Ma- I'm sorry, I started to interrupt, you, but where is CNN headline breaking? New York Times front page: Far left extremists derail train. I mean, that that's didn't huge, happen. They right? didn't. They didn't talk about it. It was an attempted derailing. Attempted derailing. Derailing, but which you know the charges was under uh, the anti-terrorism statutes in the federal law. So there were two young women. The claim of responsibility was posted on this far-left extremist group site called It's Going Down, mm-hmm. which was banned by Facebook, by the way, last year. Still operates openly on Twitter. A Trump supporter could fart in D.C. and it becomes a headline story. Mm-hmm extremists attempt to derail a train. What were they doing? They were pouring concrete or something like that. I don't want to get into too much detail, but they were trying to sabotage train tracks, which can cause not only excessive, you know, property damage, but could kill people. That's, that's the craziest thing about it. Uh, that, that, that is an attempt to kill. And the, the amount of damage from derailing these trains, as much as many people on the left don't like to get into the economics of it, it could cause people great suffering in terms of not being able to eat. There are poor people who rely on food coming in and resources from, from local governments to help them. This level of disruption could have literally killed people directly involved in the train and then have massive repercussions for the poor and the suffering in these cities. No news coverage. Where is it? 
Where's the where's the big story? Where's the national conversation? Where's where's CNN to, to go out and be like, this is is, is insane. These conversations, it, it doesn't happen. Yeah, well, the point you're making is sometimes by not reporting, you are reinforcing a particular narrative. And that's what happens. And there are so few people uh, who are focused on the Antifa beat that it makes uh, the number, the few of us who do it really subjected to actual violence, continued threats of violence and threats of violence against our family. And if you happen to live uh, in a city that I lived in Portland, Oregon, where in my view, the, the rule of law is compromised. The police departments don't have the resources to respond. And the local government is so corrupt that they express support for these extremists. Then you have essentially a sort of a approval from why do you state think actors. That, why do you think that other people, that other outlets and other journalists don't want to cover these guys? Uh, because the few journalists who have, who are from establishment press, uh, f- uh, experience what it's like to be suddenly targeted online. Just so you think it's a fear thing? Yes. They yes. don't want to do it because they're afraid. Yeah, it's also a I, I, ideological thing. I think, for lack of a better word, communism. Mm-hmm. Communists don't want to breach discipline. For it to do so would be an act of blasphemy. Like when Jake Tapper takes his tweet down. Mm-hmm. Why right. does he do that's that? That's crazy. That is Why crazy. Why does he do that? Where's, where's the principle? I tweet stupid things all the time and get mocked for. I just leave them up. I don't care. Right. Like I, I, I'll delete something if I tweet it right away and there's a typo or like a word is, it's not phrased properly. But I get people being like, hi, oh, your tweet's so dumb. I'm like, I don't know, whatever. I said it. You know, well, they, they have, this is the challenge of our brave new world that they will inflict almost any type of injustice for their cause. It defies reason. It defies logic. They'll inf- and, 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 and I have, I have respect. I mean this in kind of a dark way. I have so much respect for them. I see it, the Christian, I, I just get interviewed as a Christian magazine earlier today, and they wanted advice. I'm like, grow a pair of balls. <laughs> you guys love going to church, but beyond praying, what the hell are you doing? The communists have faith, and it's a faith that they live or die by. They're willing to give up their lives well, there's, for their cause. I mean, are they you, really? Who? I mean, they're willing to burn down buildings. They're willing to burn down buildings, buildings, but they're not willing to give up their lives. Some of them, some of them may. No, we've Mm -hmm. seen. Look, we've seen. Giving, giving up their lives, they're, maybe they're going to be incarcerated. I mean, history, yeah, but, is, I mean, history but if we, is replete with well, examples. I'm talking of, about recently. So, I mean, if we look at, for example, um, protests at the Capitol, for example, I was talking to an attorney, Marina Medvin, who represents, you guys probably know who she is, represents some January 6th protesters or rioters, whatever you want to say. And um, there's this rabbi who she's representing who is being charged with parading, and it's a misdemeanor. And her argument, um, he's, you know, they're trying to sentence him to all this long prison term, well, longer than necessary, like six, I don't know, some days prison term. Um, and her argument is that people who were arrested for protesting in the Capitol against Brett Kavanaugh got a $50 fine. Yeah. So why is this rabbi getting like but this look, excessive look. sentence and excessive fine? When he was in there for less time, for like five minutes it's, and left. Because it's, it's a cult. It, it, it's obvious that the machine is slanted in one direction. Right. We, we've all said it in a variety of ways. The institutions are protecting one side and demonizing the other. Right. But, but, so it, but, in, my but point in terms is, of what James was saying. That protester who right, right, right. got charged yes, with $50, we, she knows she's not going to have to give not, up her that's, life. That's, that's not, that's not the, the She case. knows she's only going to have to give up the, 50 The leftists bucks. know that they have legal resources behind them. The right doesn't have that. Right. They have the National Lawyers Guild behind them. So they don't have to give up That's not true. They're given trainings on what to do. 
do. They're willing to do this. They're willing to sacrifice each other. They're willing to a certain degree to sacrifice themselves. Now, many of them may not think they're going to lose their lives completely, but they enter these positions. I've been to these meetings. Luke I and I were at a big, a big meeting in France and they say to everyone outright, you could end up in prison for the rest of your lives and charge with terrorism. And you, they say, they say, okay. So when I see a dude working at Taco Bell mm-hmm. and he's got a Black Lives Matter mask, and his manager says, take the mask off because of the Black Lives Matter thing, get a new one or you're fired. And he says, then fire me. The far left screams. They make demands and Taco Bell backs down and says, we're sorry. The right does nothing. Mm-hmm. They the, do nothing. It's the revolutionary yep. heart of communism, I think. It's the power to, to act upon their convictions. And I think history is replete with accounts of this. Whitaker Chambers wrote about it. Douglas Hyde wrote about it. He converted from... Uh, communism to Catholicism. It, there's there's a lot of examples of people. It's it's at the heart of their, for lack of a better word, religion. And I think they're willing to act upon their ideals. And from my perspective, I think we can learn from their faith to act. Not break the law, but not worry about being shamed. In some regards, the modern day equivalent of giving up your your lively life livelihood. You're giving mm-hmm. up your livelihood. Yeah, we, we, and your yeah. reputation. Yeah, and your and your accounts. They don't care. We had Darren Beatty. For speaking out. We had Darren Beatty on the show. They're not afraid. They're not afraid. Darren Beatty said he thinks that the right, and I'm probably, I'm paraphrasing, but I think the general idea was the right is actually more prone to cancel culture than the left because the right has more people scared of the mainstream opinion against them. So they're willing to tell people who are either to the right of center or, you know, who are more conservative, traditional conservative, they're not going to defend them. And you see this in Congress even. Marjorie Taylor Greene gets condemned and booted off her, her, her committee assignments because the Republican Party panics. Meanwhile, Ilhan Omar can say whatever she wants. Yeah, they, that, they, that's they a do problem. Nothing. Yeah, and then I Donald mean, Trump the just thing. wants to be liked by the New York Times. Yeah, he I wants mean, to be liked by the corporate institutions and that kind of train of thinking. You know, it's not going to There, There are Republicans who care more about the opinion of the New York Times than the opinion of their own constituents. That is exactly the point. And until they stop caring, they can't be effective. And it, and it comes down to the faith. I've been saying this for years, and I don't know how else to say it. It sounds like a cliche, but the moment the Republican Party stops being humiliated, you give them that power. We give them that power. That's not a power they have. It's only a power if you give it to them. And how the did, moment does, you, you stop caring and you stop giving them, then you're free to actually do But But they won't because – a lot of the people in the Republican Party aren't there for the right reasons. You want to know why they don't like you, James? Because you change the news cycle. How is the news cycle set? The New York Times, CNN, these big companies decide there's a big story, and then people in politics try and jump on it to address the issue. And I wonder that sometimes. I'm like, how is it that the New York Times just decides to run a headline story, and all of a sudden, that's what we're talking about? But something interesting happens with Veritas. You report a story, and it trends number one on Twitter. All of a sudden, they're forced to address it, and they don't like doing that. They well, don't I, like I want to get even thunder. deeper on you. This is a Daily Beast headline by Lloyd Grove, and they tried to do this shame crap with me. They tried to get me to, I'm so sorry, I apologize, I shouldn't have done. And the headline reads, it's impossible to shame James O'Keefe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a badge of honor right there. there. Do you understand? We should frame this and put it in our bathroom like at headquarters. <laughs> do, you understand? do you understand now how That's the game is beautiful. played? The whole point... The whole point is to shame you. When they yeah. couldn't, that's when their they, modus operandi. And, when, and, and here's what's scary: when they couldn't shame you, the FBI shows up. When they couldn't shame Andy, they found him in the street and they beat him up. Well, they're running out of arrows, aren't they? Because how do you exceed? You know how aggressive it is for a for the FBI to execute a search warrant against an American journalist. They're scared. The Attorney General of the United States expressly forbids it. 
in a memo by Merrick Garland in July. You do not execute search warrants against journalists, particularly for this issue. They probably broke the law. And that doesn't that show kind of a bit of desperation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder if there's something else we don't know yet. The FBI maybe got worried that you had a whistleblower with some information, and the only way they could figure out what stories you were working on was to drum up some fake search warrant to get access to your documents. Well, the problem with that strategy is that most of my employees, I'm the CEO of the company, I, I, I do some reporting, but not all, most of our employees are the ones with sources, and they didn't take their phones. Mm, well, they don't know what to do. I think, I think they're panicked, they're desperate. We can see it with, with, like, like you mentioned, Libby, how they're going after these January 6 guys with extreme uh, charges yes. relative to what the left has done. And we had an insurrection in 2017. Luke and I were there on the ground. We saw conspiracy charges against all of these, you know, black clad individuals who were smashing windows, setting fires. And most of them just got let go. That's they, right. They couldn't hold any charges against them. Well, and that goes on in so many of these cities that are Democrat-run, and they've just taken that strategy, and they're using it all over the place. Gascon and uh, the DA in L.A. does this catch-and-release thing. Uh, that's not working. The, the new DA in New York has promised to do something very similar. Uh, it's going to make the city that is crumbling yeah. even worse. In, well, in, well, in New York, just really quickly, in New York, there was activists being arrested for eating without a vax pass, eating without permission from the government when a woman was murdered yards away from them. Yeah. So the police is is prioritizing they, vaccine yeah. domestic passports over literal murders that happened. Well, and, and this they, is happening the under the are, Eric Adams administration that promised, campaigned to be tough on crime. And this is happening in the city right now. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, they also promised to be uh, tough on vaccine mandates, and they've continued that as well. To the extent where people are literally being thrown in front of trains, well, and they're not doing anything because they're mean, arresting people know, who don't have people have been permission being from the government thrown to eat in at front of trains for some time. Uh, that's actually not new in the city, although it is horrifying and the terrifying. crime is up. There's crime a, is up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a disaster. Cities, it's a disaster so. for sure. We have, we have, it's we have so interesting. Andy and I were talking about this earlier that um, so many of these cities that are Democrat run. What was our conversation? <laughs> like, like I'm blanking. Well, uh, but we were talking about that. By, by mid mid December, there were a dozen right. cities in America that had surpassed its historical record on homicides and murders. Portland being one of them, uh, and there were eleven others. And this was just mid December. I'm not sure if there were by then, you know, the, the end of 2021, if there were more than that, um, it's a direct consequence uh, that will be felt for years and years of the, um, the the political and social changes in our culture after George Floyd died. That was... Right. And it's like social justice, uh, social justice initiatives are not going to make cities safer, it turns out. Mm. It's just going to make it worse for the very people that you're claiming to try and protect. But I wonder if that's, you know, these people aren't trying to protect anybody. No. We, we sit well, here and Well, they're trying to protect themselves and the people who read the New York Times. I think it's, it's worse they're than trying that. trying to protect criminals. I, I, I think it's worse than that. It's, it's the chaos that destroys the system that allows them to exploit it. They're letting people out of prisons because it creates crime. They're doing these, they're, they're setting forth these policies that are making everyone's lives genuinely worse and more chaotic. Then as everything gets crazy, they come out and say, we're the solution. Give us the power. They, 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 they enact policies that destroy the system and then tell you they're the only solution. Yes, they do do that. Uh, and then they enact further policies that continue to destroy things. Yes, I think they do do that is another good way to say it too, <laughs> because these, these policies are, are, are utter crap. Yeah. They, they don't make sense. Mm -hmm. They, they come out and often by decree. 
Yes. They're, they're pushing these policies. Well, and of course, everything. we've had we've had nothing but rule by decree for the past two years. Right. These executive orders have got to stop the the emergency powers that have been given to governors and mayors have got to end. The people need their representation in New York City. We're being mandated without representation at this point you know it's like some stamp act bullshit is they're, what we've got going on they're mandating you guys get three vaxes now or is it still two it's still the two but you know but cases are through the roof anyway and so. there's room on those vax cards for mm-hmm. a whole bunch of more crap that they can inject that's what us the, with that's what the conspiracy theorists were saying <laughs> like why is there four <laughs> why empty, are there four uh, so, uh, you yes. know lines what here this, this doesn't make about? any sense and and the conspiracy theorists are saying it's not just going to be two it's going to be a lot more and you know uh, conspiracy I, 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 I keep right. getting into arguments with people too about whether or not my child should be vaccinated and mm-hmm. i'm like He's been exposed to COVID 500 million times. He's tested negative 500 million times. He was around me when I got COVID. He was around his dad when his dad got COVID. He keeps being fine. Like if he's fine, what do we, what do we need this for? So many kids are fine. They're man, they're requiring five year olds not only be vaccinated, but also wear a face mask just to go to, you know, like whatever the Olive Garden in Times Square, which I don't know why anyone wants to go there, but still anywhere uh, to go I, to the Met. I have a question. Have any of the politicians or activists who demanded uh, that police be defunded apologize that mm. their project resulted in historical numbers of black and brown people and vulnerable people dying in urban areas? They just ignore that, that fact. They ignore it. There, I mean, right. we saw we saw that video where the two Antifa women are vandalizing the property and two young black women say, why are you doing this? Get out of here. We don't want this. And like, we're doing mm-hmm. it to help you. We're helping you. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're you're destroying, destroying our community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll tell you that story of when I was in Ferguson, when the young black man, li- black man linked arms to defend the, the, the liquor store where Michael Brown had bought the, uh, the cig- or had stolen the cigarillos. And they were interviewed by Al Jazeera. And they said, these people looting and raiding our stores don't live here, man. But you know what we end up seeing from, I think it was the New Republic. I can't remember which outlet it was, so forgive me if it wasn't. But uh, in defense of looting, mm, that's what they called right. it. As people who live in the community were begging for the violence to stop and outside forces were exploiting it and burning down their buildings, prominent left-wing activist media said it was a good thing. Yeah, they, they were, they were, it was, it was revolution. And I'm like, the people who live there aren't doing this. I'm glad you brought that, brought that up. NPR did a very mm-hmm. glowing interview with the author of that book. Mm-hmm. Vicky Osterwell. Yes, that's correct. And this is why narrative is important, because when the mainstream left essentially puts out this, um, is platforming people who are arguing in support of violent extremism and criminality, that shifts the whole Overton window. And I think we've seen that very clear. We've seen that slowly in the last six years in the opinion sections of the New York Times. I mean, they publish some really awful things like uh, I'm still disturbed by that one piece of the the parent asking if his uh, black child should have white friends yeah that was really upsetting that was the Charles Blow story I think wasn't it I don't don't recall so um, yeah that that shifts and uh, we've seen you know what as all that violence was happening in 2020 where where it wasn't just property destruction we had 20, at least 26 people who died as a result. And there were peripheral deaths, too. Yeah. So right. there were there were some instances where people died indirectly as a result of the riots, like roads, be, roads being closed, uh, ambulances being blocked, things like that. And then you had the overt murders, people like David Dorn, who were just, just killed in these riots. 
reporting that I will always give a shout out to Michael Tracy, where he actually drove to these small towns. It was it was it was it was Ikao and Yanka. Sorry, it was what for what? That was the author. Yeah, Yeah. author of what? I had it wrong. Oh, okay. Can my children be friends with white people? Oh, right, right, right. Michael Tracy went. He he drove across the country and he went to these very small towns and he saw boarded up windows, spray paint saying "Please don't hurt us." Things like that. Oh, Spare our I saw myself uh, in. So I was in, in the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, Chaz, in, in Seattle. This is where BLM, far left extremists, and Antifa took over a, six blocks of a major American city, created a hard border, and had people with guns guarding these uh, checkpoints. And it was allowed to go on three weeks. People died there on the wind. And this was a really heavily densely populated area. The businesses on there had signs that said. Black-owned business, Asian-owned business, person of color-owned business. As sort of these, I mean, it seems really kind of like medieval, right? It's like, please, please don't harm us. Because mm-hmm. every inch of that entire six block is vandalized. Um, I have to wonder, you know, uh, we often talk about civil war or civil unrest or, or whatever. Fun, uh, in, a, in, a, in, I guess, a funny uh, twist or whatever or however you want to describe it, when Luke was reading about post-pandemic civil unrest is when we got swatted. So I'm I'm, I'm curious, Luke, if we, we never actually, I don't, I don't think I got to flesh out what was going on with that. As we're looking at what happened with Chaz and with Minnesota and with all this stuff, I think there's a real possibility that not only was it were we already likely to see civil unrest because of the pandemic lockdowns, but you add to this the fact that Black Lives Matter rhetoric and rioting over the past few years has never been checked. It, it has never been held to account. I, th- I think that's going to lead to something, you know, substantial. Especially when you consider the economic factors that are also adding a lot of stress to the entire system with people finding it harder and harder just to find commonly household used items. The, the store shelves are also being emptied, not just because of the winter storm, but because of the global supply chain shortages and the problems that have started that we still haven't felt the full effects of. So when you combine all of that and the historical pretext for unrest when it comes to pandemic, This is a recipe for disaster, especially at the state that the United States is in right now with what people are calling a decline of an empire. There's a lot of things coming together all at once, but it's it's a storm that's absolutely uh, dangerous to be in. The BLM riots and the Antifa riots, it, it wasn't that they were only unchecked. They were encouraged. And they were encouraged, those rioters were encouraged to flout COVID restrictions. So I remember in June just 2020. Just a, just a real quick interjection. Yeah. Actually, it was um, one article said that they actually reduced the spread of COVID. Oh, yeah. Yes. No joke. No joke. They reported yeah. that. Well, Andrew Cuomo said um, and Bill de Blasio said that if uh, contract tracers spoke to people who had been protesting for social justice, they were not to ask them if they had been, you know, not to ask people, have you been doing this in order it's to help cult. the contract tracing? But it was in June of 2020 that there was a 10,000 person protest outside of the Brooklyn Museum of Art in, uh, well, in Brooklyn. 10,000 people out protesting to uh, end violence against black trans people. And this was, the mayor said, this was more important than COVID restrictions. And it was it was literally at that moment, like, I was already sort of done with this pandemic in May. I can't, you know, whatever. And then at that moment, I was like, 
and everything you have said and everything you are now going to say is a complete and total fabrication. It's fully a lie. As soon as there's 10,000 people allowed to hang out outside the Brooklyn Museum and protest, uh, you know, supporting black trans lives, and me and my kid can't go to the movies and we can't go to the Met and we can't do anything, everything you are, you are thoroughly discredited, 100% discredited. The government entirely, I, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I, in I, New York State and in the city. I think I remember watching De Blasio on the corporate media. I think it was CNN announcing what a shyster. Yeah, announcing, hey, we're going to restrict this. You can't go to the mm-hmm. movies. You can't go to the supermarket. You can't eat at restaurants. You can't do this, this, and then this. And then he was asked, "What about the protest?" He's like, "Oh, they're justified." That's funny. <laughs> and they, like, how? And it was how probably a bunch of these same stupid doctors and researchers and scientists who wrote the Rogan letter, who penned that letter saying that racial justice protests are a reasonable reason to not adhere to COVID restrictions. You mean the dentists and nursing students? Yeah, uh, whatever. Made up the and list the, and the cannabis farmer? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I got respect to the guy who's farming cannabis, but I don't think he should be the non-board certified veterinarians. Exactly. <laughs> These people. Yeah. yeah. Back alley veterinarians. Right. <laughs> I don't like what Joe Rogan's talking about. The veterinary abortionists. Oh, no. oh man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, but I want to, I, I want to look at back to you know what James was saying. James was saying we're optimistic or he's optimistic. I'm optimistic. Yeah. I take a look at the declining ratings of these institutions. I take a look at, we have the story actually from the post-millennial. Red wave poll shows dramatic shift in party preference from Democrat to Republican at the end of 2021. So this is from Gallup, one of the most credible polling institutions, so they say. And we can see that around the third quarter, we, there was a big decline in a shift occurring. And by quarter four of 2021, Republican sent identification outweighed Democrat by five points. This is for the first time in a couple, like 20 years, uh, maybe. There was a period, I think, in like 2010s where it was fairly even. But we, we haven't seen this pronounced of a, of, of, a, of a flip since like 91. Now, I don't think Republicans are necessarily the answer. I think voting in the primaries and voting for people who care about this country is the answer. But the fact that people are breaking away from the establishment narratives from declining ratings to party shift, I think matters. I think it's, I think it's it's grounds for optimism, right? Well, I keep on plugging my book, but the second book you should reread every year is 1984, mm. which is the year I was born. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. And in this book, Winston, sign. The, the the protagonist, Winston, 1984, says the party, the party is a metaphor for what we're talking about, tells you to reject the evidence of your own eyes and ears. Winston said, it is the final, most essential commandment. It is the number one rule. Don't trust your own eyes and ears. But the moment propaganda becomes apparent, it loses its effect. And I think what's happening right now is people are starting to wake up. And they're, and you, Luke, I think you're right. I think they're losing like a, what do you call it? A dog that was, uh, an animal that was caged or something. I, I like that metaphor. Trapped. A trapped yeah. animal. And I think this is also why in 1984 they made them repeat 2 plus 2 equals 5 because it's nonsensical and they couldn't have common sense. They couldn't have rational debate and discussion. They needed to, of course, obey the, the state and the co- controllers at all costs. It's the, it's the uh, Emanuel Goldstein manual, 1984. It requires a moment-to-moment flexibility in the treatment of facts. So that exactly. scene you're talking about where they're torturing Winston – you know, two plus two equals is five, and Winston's like, well, "Spoiler I, I, alert for yeah, people." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> in case you haven't read it since high school, and he's like, "I don't understand." Two plus two equals four, and it says, and finally, Winston, because he's being tortured, he says, "Well, two plus two is whatever you want it to be." Exactly. But I feel like there are four lights. I feel like yes, this is America. 
Damn it. This is America, and I think we're different than any other country in the history of the world. Um, I just don't think we're – I'm hopeful because I think people are understand what's happening. What, what the, the danger, Tim, is that most people are afraid. And the m- ma pension, ma mortgage, ma kids. Well, or good luck m- to your kids m- because m- we don't status. change this. Maybe your kids will be holding bayonets or whatever the modern equivalent of a bayonet will be. So we better give up our pensions and our mortgages. There's more to life than my mortgage. You've got to blow the but whistle. But it's really, when, you know, it's, it's very difficult when you have so much to lose. What's to, the point of living? What's yep. the point of living? What's the point of life? What's well, the, well, we, what, well, well, is this, well, well, this is the question. Well, what's the meaning of life? Absolutely, James. this is the question. Well, I don't hey, think hey, there's an answer this, to what is the meaning of life. No, no, my my questions. You, you posed a rhetorical question to me, and my answer I'm is. I'm saying. Or I, I rather, I posed a rhetorical question to you. Right. What's the point of life, if without meaning? You know, the pursuit of happiness. Well, there's also the pursuit of meaning. Sure. And, and the excuse that we're giving is you know, we're following orders. There's 120,000 What I'm saying yeah. is if you have people who have a family and they have a home and they want to protect those things, right. they're going to go to great lengths to protect those things. They're not going to give them up until they're forced to. I, if I disagree. You can, if you can get dinner on the table and you can go to your job, you're going to do those things. That's there, what people do. What if you're I, being I, asked to do unconstitutional legal things? Well, then we see people start to start to give those things that's, up when they have to. But, 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 and that's, you know, but, but that's, I, I, I a, that's a different point for everybody. Isn't when, that? when there is a, you live in a house and you're surrounded by a wooded area and there is a fire on the horizon, you have people saying, well, I think if we just sit around and do nothing, the fire eventually won't hit us and we'll get lucky. And it's like, or you can take action now, get your family out before the fire destroys your home. What we're seeing right now is that people aren't going to, w- willing to go to great lengths to protect their friends and family or their, or their or their children to make sure there's food on the table. They're looking at short-term uh, gains and long-term losses. So w- the reason I use the forest fire uh, analogy is that— This is like check off with the trees. It's off the distance. Mm-hmm. Okay, the fire's not here right Why now. Why did the peasants I know there's the a fire. I know there's a fire. I know it is destroying people's homes. I know my neighbors have lost everything, but I'll be fine. I'm sure of it. Right. They think if they keep their head down, this the is what Solzhenitsyn describes in the Gulag Archipelago to survive at any price. Mm. And to survive at any price is the danger because if you continue down this road, I, I like your analogy of long term, you're going to live in a lot in a society which is permanently corrupted, where every where, where the lie becomes a permanent form of existence, and you have to sell out your own family to not to not you know go to the gulags so james, to speak when you're breaking rocks in the gulags there's yeah. going to be a guy 10 years older and he's going to go hey james I ever tell you how about, about how my kid <laughs> my kid played soccer and you're, you're going to be like oh yeah my, my worst part about the gulags is the inevitable hunger strike cuz i like to eat <laughs> <laughs> i get i get hangry but those are a serious point cuz i this is i want to go back to this point which you and i disagree with because this is the this is the issue at i'm hand. not defending people for for not wanting to fight i'm yeah. saying people don't want to fight Right, we're. We I'm not asking everyone. So, 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 so this is a, so this is my my part. Martin Luther and moment. And maybe I we will, are at a breaking point here. Yeah, this is my Martin Luther moment. This is the issue at hand. What we're you're talking gonna, you're about. You're nailing stuff on the door right that's now. That's it. Okay. Right now, here I stand. I can do no other. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about, you and I, in this moment, that's everything. I have people who have families who who uh, you know who are making money for Facebook, Pinterest. They gave it all up for the public's right to know, and they did so as a leap of faith, and the American people protected them. Um, the HHS whistleblower, Jody, she raised half a million dollars after she gave up her job for filming stuff in the emergency room. 
uh, Zach at Google, Eric Cochran at Pinterest said, I'll fall to ashes one day. I want my life to mean something after I'm gone. Those are his words, not mine. Sure. I mean, I've, you know, like... I lost everything because I wrote the truth, right? Like, right. This happened to me too. And we need more this people. This kind of to thing happens to Andy all the time. And we need more people. Yes, to do this. we need to speak up for that, but we also need to understand and not condemn the people. I think who who don't do it. I think we need to understand those people. But we should encourage them at the same time as we understand them. We and let should them all know. speak up and but, speak but the got, truth at we, once because to there's too many of us to their, be destroyed. Their acquiescence, their compliance is literally leading us down I'm this sorry, pathway. I, to I this, profoundly to this disagree with you. There is a Literally, as I speak, thousands of DMs every day. What can I do? Help me. I want to help. I want to, I want to, I want to make a sacrifice. Well, good. Want, good. 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 So we, we need to, we need to create a mass movement of those people. We need to give them an opportunity to fight. People want to fight in this country. They don't know what to do. They want to do mm-hmm. something. Um, but I, I think with 120,000 people, the DOJ, Tim, there's got to be one or two. Right. I just need one or two. Maybe I already have them. But I need, <laughs> I need one or two more. There's got to be – okay, we're following orders. I get it. You have your mortgage to pay. But I don't know. I I, 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 was, the, I was watching this video I'm just saying about clowns, if we can be sympathetic pronouns. to those people, I, I'm maybe sorry. there's a way I'm, to help I'm, them I'm, in that. You're talking you know. to a man who's been put in handcuffs twice by the FBI for a crime I didn't commit. Right. And I would like to believe that half the people in my apartment actually were not bad, bad people at all. Mm-hmm. I think they're very good people. I just think we're entering a slippery slope and we have to encourage people to do the right thing. And it will involve, without question, it will involve sacrifice and suffering. It just will. Now you sound yeah. like Dr. Peterson. Well, the police officers and FBI agents that arrested well, I and went after I have James. the utmost respect for you and Well, for I'm Dr. sitting Peterson. next to a man who got thrown concrete milkshakes mm. you know he got physical physically assaulted for what he went through my uh, my only point was to have empathy for the people who are terrified of losing everything uh, but but those That's people what is that, how does those, that but, affect but, but, how does that affect the actual actions that we're going to take how does empathy affect the yes. actions that we're going to take yes. i don't think condemning people gets them on your side have i done that i didn't say that you did okay I, I I'm did not, not, I'm not, I didn't I'm say not condemning did. anybody. I'm in, I, we need to create a forum for people to come forward. We have to do yes, that. Yes, we should all be encouraged. We should be encouraging each other to speak the truth and to not be cowed by this nonsense anymore. That's I right. thoroughly agree with you on that. But the people arresting James and the FBI agents that went after him are making those excuses. We need to pay the mortgage. We need to pay the bills. We need to make sure that my, uh, you know, kids are taken care of. Those are the same kind of, uh, arguments that I've heard made by corporate journalists saying, Hey, I just got to read this script. I just got to do what they tell me to do because at the end of That's the day, I got to take defending. care of myself. That's not what I'm defending. But, but at there's all. a lot of people who I, use that was, kind of like, justification, even in the White House press corps. You have to give up your pension. That I personally I was know. responding to yeah. you have to give up I your pension. I think point zero zero one percent of people need to give up their pension. Yes. Matt, could you imagine if I just think you're a, probably a thousand, right about that. <laughs> yeah. a thousand people in one of these organizations of just came out and said, we're willing to sacrifice our pensions? Well, then none of them would. If every single person at any of these corrupt institutions, if they all just said, we hereby all agree, we have scruples and won't do these illegal things, yeah. it wouldn't happen in the first place. I well, agree with that. You're it is, it, it, two choices. You can follow your conscience or you can and, – and then you will lose your livelihood. Or you could not follow your conscience and – have a, a safe existence. I, my my view, you know, on life growing up was never based on tribalism, and I think that's that's what shapes my perspective today. 
is that there was no group identified with. There was nothing I saw that I said I need to be a part of. It was actually my whole life was if I don't figure it out for myself, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Too many people today are wrapped up in just trying to fit in with whatever tribe they think will keep them alive. Right. We see with uh, with Ethan Klein. He's the H3 mm-hmm. podcast guy. He, he deletes the Jordan Peterson interviews. That's Why? such a that's but, such a trash move. But it's because, in my opinion, if you look at his Instagram, he said, YouTube uh, gave me a strike. I can't work for a week because someone went to an old video and flagged it and got it removed. Here's a guy who's got a big he's got a company of 10 people. He's got a, a, a 10 million subscribers. And because of the rule changes, he's getting banned. So what does he do? He says, I'm just going to adhere to whatever they tell me to do. Yeah. And he deletes the joint. I'm, I'm going to say episode. the two plus two equals five because mm-hmm. I don't want the rat to eat my face. Yep. Exactly. It, that's what the or- Orwell was a genius. <laughs> I mean, room 101. Room, room 101. Yep. Room 101. <laughs> I don't know what your psychological version of the rat, everyone's got their fears, but um, this is a slippery slope. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just quoting our whistleblowers that come to us. Mm. All of these yeah. people. It's not these are not my words. They're saying, "Listen, there's, I want my life to mean something." And, and it, I guess it is akin to what Jordan Peterson talks about: wasps, wasps. Yeah. Wasps? If if the establishment came to my house and unloaded wasps into my house, the show would be off the air. <laughs> <laughs> show, don't don't say that. Don't say he's 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 just <laughs> making a joke, people. <laughs> don't give don't give him ideas, Tim. Don't tell him your fear. They're like Tim doesn't no. actually scare cancellation. Put some wasps in his yeah. building. I don't well, like. Oh, there's well, wasps everywhere. You weren't, 19- you, weren't a, you weren't afraid of the stink bugs. So. No, the stink, I, I'm actually not scared of wasps. Well, well, I, I don't think that that could get you. In, in anyway. 1984, the state knew your biggest fear, mm. and for Winston, it was the fear of rats, and that's why they put a bucket with a rat in it, and it said the rat's going to eat your face unless you obey the state. So. This is, again, the dangers of the track, trace, and database society, the society that has the NSA snooping on every aspect of our existence. And it's not out of of the realm of possibility to compare our current reality going towards the 1984 one, which James brings up all the time, which is on, on on the money. The vaccine database thing. So in April, Jeff Zients at the CDC said that there was going to be no federal vaccine database. Jen Psaki mm-hmm. said there was going to be no federal vaccine credential. And it actually turns out that after the OSHA mandate went through for federal workers, this safety guidelines agency said, uh, you know, helped to help federal agencies implement the vaccine mandate. They said, and you will have to keep a database of who's been vaccinated and who isn't and the reasons for why the people didn't get vaccinated, specifically religious exemptions. So it turns out that the OSHA mandate supersedes everything else for federal workers. And there will be a bunch of different federal vaccine databases at all for the employees at all of these agencies. And I, and I think unless I think it's very likely it will happen. Yes, I think so. Short of us actually speaking out and people who like watch the show, Share this show. Talk about these ideas. Stand up for yourself. And I think more and more people are doing that. If they don't, the Supreme Court may strike down mandates for private companies, but give it five years and it will be commonplace unless you speak up now. Charles Murray said that government is in an advanced state of sclerosis where solutions are outside the legislative process in the courts. I I, I think what we've experienced with the New York Times lawsuit is, is on point. I mean, even if the Supreme Court were to rule in my favor... The New York Times would say, Trump judge. Right. Muh, Trump judge. Who cares? We don't care. We're doing, I mean. But does it matter to you? As, does, like, does at, it, obviously, winning against the New York Times is very important. They defamed you. They caused you problems and money. 
But for the, the, the snooty elites in their ivory tower with their wine, you'll never convince them, right? Literally, Jean Dean Baquet had a glass of Chardonnay <laughs> in Pittsburgh <laughs> with his, with his, with his turtleneck and blazer. Was it Dom? I oh, went to shake. Oh, so no, so there's Shana a story in this book. I, I saw Dean Baquet, New York Times, Pittsburgh. I was at one of the, literally at the proverbial seat at the table. I was sitting next to Marty Baron and Dean Baquet through, and I went to shake his hand. And you think, why would you want to shake this horrible? Per- well, you know, maybe there's a moment of humanity. Maybe, mm. maybe he has a moment of levity. No, no. He whimpered and winced like a little coward. He wouldn't he, shake your hand? He wouldn't shake. He turned around towards the wall while holding, I'm not making this up, a glass of wine. Wow. <laughs> and I, and I, and at that moment, I, I, I realized that, that, yeah, there's, you asked a question. It's not the satisfaction from the verdict. The satisfaction comes in the discovery part of litigation where you're exposing them. Proving other lines. The only thing that, for lack of a better word, communists, the only thing that communists fear is being exposed. They do not fear the government. They, in my experience, they don't fear the courts. They don't fear... The only thing that will hold them accountable is exposure. And I think litigation does that vis the discovery process. When you open up their books, when you record them in depositions, et cetera, et cetera. Also, when you guys take a microphone and put it up to their face and they start running away as they fast don't as e- they can. You ever, <laughs> that's also a good one. Did you ever notice that they don't in, want to engage yep. us in conversation? They want us to shut up. I want them to talk. Mm-hmm. Interesting dichotomy. It's crazy, right? Yep. So, so I, I, I see this with uh, in the movie Don't Look Up. Have you seen it? No. This is that Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah. One of the scenes, it's basically in the movie, the Republican Party is telling all of their, you know, right-wing nutjobs not to look up at the sky where the comet is coming to destroy the planet. So they don't. And I'm watching that and I'm like, I think the movie's funny. It's poking fun at everybody. But the Republicans, the conservatives, are the meme of debate me. Mm. It, it's it's Ben Shapiro yep. chasing after AOC <laughs> being like, why won't you debate me? While the left says, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. If anyone is telling you not to look up, it's CNN. Right. Not the right. The right's demanding you look up. We've and, and the Biden administration as well. That's t- saying that we need to stop disinformation, but they don't take any questions from reporters. And Dr. Fauci, who today on the World Economic Forum Zoom call, was literally saying we need to fight disinformation for, quote, medical he- health alongside, of course, uh, Xi Jinping, who also was on the Zoom call as that well. Goes back- well, and they only ident- they identified disinformation and misinformation as anything that goes along, goes against whatever the current narrative is, which is consistently changing. It goes back to the moment-to-moment flexibility in the treatment of facts. We talk about engaging in conversation. I, again, I, I tell my staff, um, we welcome the inspectors. That mm-hmm. might sound counterintuitive. You're an undercover operation. You have to keep secrets. We don't keep many secrets, Tim. I, I tell everything you do is going to be watched. Um, the New York Times is required by their ethical code to reach out for comment. They do do that via email, but they'll never print my response. And when I try to call them, they hang up the phone. They hang up the phone. They do this clever thing where if your quote hurts you, it's in full. Mm. If right. your quote helps you, they'll snip it or paraphrase. Yeah. One, one such comment was, please respond, all these things. So I quoted the judge in the defamation lawsuit. You, the New York Times acted in disinformation and deception. I quoted a judge. And the New York Times published, when asked for a comment, Mr. O'Keefe criticized the New York Times. <laughs> well, I didn't criticize the New York Times. I was quoting a judicial authority. So well, that, yeah. that, that's false uh, a statement of fact, isn't it? It, it? it is, and we sued them for defamation and we're winning. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so now we just put out our quotes to the New York Times to our audience. We just film myself yeah. emailing the New York Times. 
I think your audience wants solutions. I, I think we know they, they they chop the quotes, they take it out of context. Solution. I had a uh, I had Robert Silverman, who's this hack reporter at uh, Daily Beast. Hmm. He re- reached out to me, I think, around midnight Eastern time, and said uh, he was trying to get comment. He said, "I'll give you until twelve thirty a.m. to respond." <laughs> This is how entitled some of them feel. <laughs> you know, like they're doing you the favor. They're writing a hit piece. Yeah. They contact you at the last hour. And then, well, most people are sleeping at that time or not checking their email. And then, uh, yeah, and then your comment never makes it into the, the published story. Andy, but I was going to ask you, how, how do you deal with the media coverage that you get dealt with? Do you have any kind of legal battles or what's your strategy when it comes to dealing with the media that attacks you? Um. Well, I've come to, like James, come to ignore most of it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the resources to do uh, l- lawsuits against everybody who defames me. And the f- uh, in the U.S., uh, def- proving defini- defamation in a court when you're a public figure is extremely hard. And so uh, the point of these negative pieces is to sabotage and ruin someone's reputation and also to to de- demoralize them and to take up their time. I think it's been more effective for me to ignore most of it. When it's really egregious, then I'll respond. Uh, I think like so recently in December, a few weeks ago, um, I got an email um, at, at night from a, a journalist asking me for comment about this federal lawsuit that was filed against me for a copyright violation. That was the first I've heard of it. So these... Two Antifa activists, ex- extremists in Portland, sued me for retweeting their videos that, on yeah. Twitter. Okay? Completely frivolous lawsuit. But the point wasn't necessarily about winning. It was about getting all of these negative pieces out that said, Andy Ngo sued in federal court for stealing journalist content. That's really damning for... I mean, if you're a journalist, you, your reputation really matters. By the way, there's this only as, uh, as much as I say, you know, I ignore this, ignore that. Reputation at the end of the day matters when you're a journalist because th- your reputation is your legitimacy. That's how people know that what you're reporting out is accurate. They can trust it. Um, and within less than two weeks, the, the lawsuit was withdrawn. And but so by then, you know, who, those left wing uh, media sites are not going to write these new uh, follow-up stories about mm-hmm. how this was a frivolous lawsuit that was a waste of everyone's time. Um, but, you know, on the record, now people Google me again, in addition to all the hit pieces before, they see stuff like this. And now now it's forever that, even though this, the, the, the lawsuit's gone, they can still say Andy No has been sued for stealing content in the past, point. and it'll exactly. be forever. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have to issue a very strong correction. You see, I stated on this show that that lawsuit would be dismissed in summary judgment, and I was wrong. They withdrew it because it was a frivolous lawsuit. So it didn't even make it that far. But again, it's the smear that counts, and that's what they were going for, at least in my opinion, right? Well, the object of persecution is to is persecution, is to mm-hmm. break your will. You know, that that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to it's usually these this litigation is an exercise in just trying to <coughs> shut you up, break your will, bankrupt you, etc. All right, let's go to Super Chats. If uh, you haven't already, get those Super Chats in. We're going to take questions, and I'm going to do my best to try and go through good questions for you know for everybody here so we can have some very serious conversations. And there's a ton of Super Chats, so I definitely won't be able to read everybody's, but smash that like button. Go to TimCast.com. Become a member. We're going to have that members-only podcast up tonight. We usually post them around 11 or so p.m., but uh, let's read what we got here. Just with, We'll start with some compliments. Robert Dolvik says... 
James, Andy, and Libby with Tim is the journalistic Avengers. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't put, he didn't say Luke. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Let's see what we get here. I want to try and find a uh, a good question for everybody. May I? May I just ask the oh, question yeah. Eric sent me? Absolutely. Yo, Mr. <laughs> O'Keefe, we got to know boxers or briefs oh. when the FBI. <laughs> And this is your guy sending that to you? Why are obsessed with the underwear (laughs) fact? Everyone loves to talk about me and my... I don't know what they're called. I I, I guess... Boxer briefs? Oh, oh. (laughs) What they're called. (laughs) 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 It's just visual. It's just a very visual image. It is a very visual. I mean, it's going to... In the film version, that's going to be like on the poster. You you think there's going to be a film made about this? Don't you think there ought to be? We do have a super chat. It would be a great film. We did have a super chat saying, Mr. O'Keefe, boxes are briefs. Who would cast... Who would be the person that would play me? I don't know. Who do you want? <laughs> Michael Malice. Anyways, Malice I'm sorry. I took the podium away from you, Tim. Oh, no. I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, Nicholas uh, Cage. To, yeah. Nicholas Cage. No, I not, can definitely no, see no, Nicholas no, Cage. not Nicholas Cage. So, so there's always a challenge He's in that. He's way too old at this point. A lot of the comments aren't questions, typically. And so I'm trying to make sure I can get a good question. But that means scrolling through and screening these. You know, maybe maybe in the long term we'll uh, uh, we'll find someone. Uh, here's one that's a question. I'm confused by the temperature of the room you are all in. Andy's in a scarf. James with an open shirt. Luke in a long sleeve. Is your temperature equitable? I don't know. I think so. Andy's in a know. scarf because it looks very jaunty and nice. It's snappy looking. It's very snappy. Yeah. I'm in a sweater because I'm always cold. There you go. Here's, here's a good question. Beefy says, Andy, covering riots, when did you feel most scared? Um... Tim's audience will remember this. So in May of last year, I returned to Portland, uh, which was a mistake. Uh, but I went back and uh, I had last because it was becoming very, very dangerous to me. Uh, it, police were very overwhelmed in 2020 with the nightly violence and riots. Uh, the police were defunded and not a record number of them had resigned and took early uh, retirement. So there's just... There, the only calls that often they were responding to were uh, like priority calls involving life or death situations. So if you have issues of I don't know, a threatening person showing up at your home, you could take hours for somebody to show up. Uh, and I knew all that. Uh, but I went back because field reporting is extremely important. And James and, and Tim, you can test this because you did this. When the further you are away from a subject that you cover, you introduce more errors, right? That's how... You get these journalists who are in bureau desk rooms in New York and D.C. who get things wrong, for example, about the Russia hoax. They just depend on these uh, these sources, right, rather than being on the ground and being able to verify things. I had been gone for a number of months, and I wanted to see how Antifa's violence had evolved um, towards the end of 2020 to uh, the many months of 2021. And I was there undercover and observing and... Um, Unfortunately, uh, they became suspicious because I wasn't rioting with them. And uh, they sent several feelers to come and, and question me. I write about this in the, in the update for my book, Unmasked. And uh, one of them said, I remember they surrounded me. I was alone. They said, uh, I think it's him. And even though I was in the middle of downtown, two blocks away from the central police station, I knew... I had no good options at that point. What do I do? I start running. What do I try talking my way out? They know my voice. I don't carry weapons. Uh, and, uh, well, 
they uh, assaulted me really badly and uh, um, th- that that was when they had me on the ground and pinned on the ground and I could hear more of them running after me and some of them had their cameras out they were like live streaming it trying to get their comrades to come not all of them had the intention to kill somebody but we've seen in these mob settings it takes one or two who are completely unhinged and have nothing to lose to do that kick to the head or the face right uh, I was so fortunate that I was able to escape and run into that hotel and plead with them to lock the doors, to call police. And, um, yeah, I that, that whole entire experience has, has been really traumatic. And I remember there was a big debate online afterwards. I, and, you know, you weighed in. You said, why, why, why would you willingly return to that situation knowing, one, that you had been assaulted before, been under death threats, and go there complete, without a good escape plan? I think that criticism was fair, but you know, my, <clears throat> excuse me. My my my. First, I think you know, as many people pointed out, I was a little crass because I was like on Twitter and I saw it and I tweeted something like that was stupid. Why would you do that? And it's probably a little crass. But my 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 thought was, you know, you wrote a book on Antifa. You're you're beyond just going into a crowd of these extremists and risking your life. When uh, you're, you're you're at the point where I suppose I should say it, like your, your your work is too important, the knowledge you have, the experience you have, the connections you've made, the people you can connect, the, the information you have within you, would all be lost because you decided to go out that one night. Now I think it's 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 fair to say. I mean, it's your responsibilities in this regard in your work. They're your choice. If you think your work is best served doing what you did, then it's just opinion versus opinion. My attitude is you should have three more you know people working with you. You should be doing what James does. James gets uh, – uh, actually, you came up in this because many people pointed out that you go through new undercover reporters because if they get exposed, then you can't just keep using the same people over and over again. Well, we'd, you'd be surprised how much a ball cap and sunglasses can achieve. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, there's a lot to say about that. But uh, I admire – Andy, I, I admire your, your, your fearlessness or your ability to overcome your fear and go back there. Yeah, so that that was that was you know basically it. I mean, on 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 my part, probably crass my initial reaction, but I think the point is we need you to keep doing your work. One of the reasons we're here today talking about the work you've done and the experiences you've had and the threats you faced, trying to cover something that the media basically covers up. How do we make sure that like the one journalist who knows how the system is working is not going to end up wiped off the map? And that the work you're doing expands into more journalism. I think it's great if the media is going to report on far-right extremism. Wonderful. Absolutely. But we get all of that. Where are the reporters who are going out and reporting on far-left extremism? It's it's few and far between. You're doing it, Andy. And we need more people to be doing it. So there's a fear in, like, you would risk your life, but we need to get you to a point where you're expanding and getting more people on the ground. You know what I mean? Hmm. That's, That's the gist of it. But, you know, other than that, I mean, I certainly, you know, empathize with, what you went through, I don't think I, I've never experienced anything to that degree. You know, I've certainly have have had Antifa get in my face, but that was, you know, considering what they did with the milkshakes and the and, and attacking you, and you, you know, you were seriously you were you were very seriously injured with traumatic brain injury, and then experiencing that again, I can certainly you know empathize and say it's a dangerous job, man. I'm, I'm glad you do it though. <laughs> what does this say about America though? That in some urban areas areas of the country, you can't have. <clears throat> journalists or citizen journalists or even just people regular people with their phones out recording things that are happening in public that you can just have mobs of violent extremists threatening violence and doing it with impunity for years 
Why do you think that doesn't happen on the right? Like, like we have, you know, there's right-wing extremists and stuff like that. Why aren't they out there being crazy and beating up, I don't know, they, they, journalists? and It exists, but there is, um, you know, if we, if we look at the polling data, independent voters lean very heavily alongside conservatives in, in, in their opinions. We did an event in the Philadelphia area. We had far-left journalists that we know lie show up. And we let them come in and knowing they're going to lie. Mm-hmm. We, we say, okay, do your thing. And they came in and lied and made up crazy stories. Callie Levin. Well, I wasn't, I don't usually don't say anybody's names, but putting out these stories where they claim that security, their security was at risk in a casino. That was we, just such a falsehood. I watched that whole thing happen. Right. We were in a, we're in a casino. Everything was fine the whole time. If you are a jerk, see, this is why we were all there. I remember that. And this is why, you know, we're, we're strategic in how we put on these events. We had the event in a casino. Why? You're never going to get better security. I mean, there's there's so many cameras in casinos that when the dealers are pulling out chips, they have to like move their hands out of the way and do motion specifically because everything is watched. For someone to come in and say, my security was threatened. Oh, please. You're in one of the biggest, most secure buildings in the city. But they, but we let them come anyway. Mm-hmm. Now what happens when Andy shows up? The truth, as James pointed out, scares them. Mm. They'll attack. I like to hear from the audience. What are they thinking? Let's try and find some more, uh, some more super chats. Morgan asks, didn't Trump technically ban speech at his rally? I believe this is over the FJB comment and the answer is yes. And it's important to call it out. And that also brings up, you know, a, a, a weakness among, you know, individuals like ourselves, whatever fact you want to call it, freedom, good, libertarian, whatever, is that we have no problem being like Trump shouldn't ban speech. You can appreciate the sentiment, of course, that, mm-hmm. you know, Trump's trying to be more cordial, but on the left, they don't play that game. They do have their circular firing squads, but it seems like it's usually for reinforcement of their of their uh, of wokeism as opposed to any real principle. I think it's uh, I think it's interesting though, and we've talked about this before. The idea that uh, you know on the left they're doing things a specific way, and so why are we trying to uphold a set of standards and values that are not being upheld on the other side? This is something James was talking about. He's clearly very committed to his standards and his values. He's not going to let that be compromised. Um, and I think that's important. You know, I think in times of crisis and when your values and when your standards are the most threatened is when you need to uphold them all the more. Yeah, but you're violating people's free speech. That's where a lot of people's issues comes up, saying, hey, why are you as an administration saying you can't say this specifically all for you know PR uh, images, Listen, images p- people people have branded me Tim for years as this unethical criminal scum lying deceptive editing they've jailed me sued me they have not physically attacked me knock on wood but what's remarkable is I have written a book with 800 footnotes law review articles journalism ethics essays we wrestle and struggle with the ethics of what we do at Project Veritas, so much so that we almost torture ourselves about whether we should publish. And and, and if I was a radical right-wing activist, I would have published Ashley Biden's diary. I didn't. And that should be proof enough. And and the most important ethical rule for in journalism is to behave like, you, like there are 12 jurors on your shoulder at all times. To not – the whole point, the whole raison d'etre – of investigative reporting is to expose that which others want kept secret for the wrong reasons. So you have to behave like you have nothing to keep secret. And that's the hardest part about, I mean, what we do, because it's often human nature that wants to keep things secret. Um, the Rick Salaby story we did recently, and I hope you saw that one, the CNN producer got, got, oh, yeah. uh, the, the police got involved. That was wild. The second producer. Oh, man. You want to wow. hear us a crazy quick anecdote? 
CNN fired that guy, Salibi, probably within about 24 hours and didn't say a word about it. Mm-hmm. And t- weeks went by. Yeah. And then in response to a tweet, the vice president of CNN, a guy named Matt Dornick, replied, oh, yeah, he's gone. That's old news. Oh. <laughs> what an incredible way That's to so cover pompous. up so that they wouldn't – because if they said immediately he was fired, be Associated Press bulletins. Yeah, what an amazing story that was. I love when the criticism accidentally exposes the machine. When they said that uh, you go after left-wing organizations and you had recently done a story on Google and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then it's like almost an admission of the complaints people have about the political bias of these institutions to claim that you are going after a left-wing institution – which happens to be Google is kind of the media yeah, that, That's always true. You're going after well, – you only target the left. Well, the New York Times, CNN. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the Department of Defense. Are these left-wing organizations? So your point is the logic yeah. of that seems to presuppose that they are left-wing. But the left tends to, as the, the late Rush Limbaugh once said, told me as well, the, the, the left tends to circle – the wagons, then the right tends to circle the firing squad, and that's because of the psychology of shame. Yep. It all goes back. It all goes back to two to two principles. Principle number one: stop caring about what they think of you. And and principle two: always be hacked like always behave like someone's watching you. And if you do those two things, I think we'll be very successful as citizen journalists. All right. Lots of compliments. People saying thank you, James and Andy. We have Karen saying thank you, James O'Keefe and Andy No, for being on the show. And most of all, being actual journalists. You are so appreciated. We've got uh, Lesko saying Andy No and James O'Keefe, bravest men alive. Mm. Oh yeah, I would, I would, I would agree. We have, uh, let's find a good, 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 uh, good question. North Viking says, why do people on the right care so much what the left thinks? Perhaps finding that out will help us free them to fight the left. Otherwise, just telling people to stop caring probably isn't enough. I, I do understand why we say the left all the time and why people say the left so often. I think um, it's important to talk about establishment elites, which have a tendency to be today the establishment left. But uh, what, what, what do you guys, why do you guys think? We, I think we talked about this, but why do you think the right cares so much about what they say? It's because the left has cultural dominance. That yeah. matters a lot. I don't think any of us here would be honest if we said uh if we just said i mean if the new york times was to write a nice profile about one of us and you said no well who cares no i think each and one of us would care we would like that sort of legitimacy from the mainstream that like this paper record in america would acknowledge what we do i agree to an extent but i also disagree i think a lot of people would like that i'm not so sure the people at this table for the most part would be you know, vying. No, for I them. think I, I. I think to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> I sound like the fourteenth paragraph of a New York Times article. Right now. <laughs> 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 to be fair, it's unclear whether you're even using your they, NPR voice. It's amazing. I know my NPR yeah, voice. Yeah, my reporter. <laughs> <laughs> my reporter voice. Yeah. Um, Tim, I think all of us, in places we don't want to admit, want to be accepted. You have to be a, I call it a masochist or a sociopath to want to be hated. We are all, we all grew up to be liked. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. I don't want to be hated. You don't, I don't think you want to be hated. Nothing that you do should engender hatred. Um, but you have to kind of fight against that evolutionary instinct to, 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 to suck up to the people who have the cultural dominance, right? This, I think this is such an important. I think, 
it's not so much for you know for me. I don't care if the New York Times wants to write something nice about me. I just don't want them to lie. I, I appreciate if people want they, they don't like me, they hate me, they want to write about it and say here's why we hate them. I'll be like, eh, well, you know, people are entitled to their to their hate. I just I don't want to be hated. But more so, I recognize I will be. I just don't want them to publish lies. It takes this kind of indefatigable, tunnel-visioned obsession in order to endure the hatred and the pain because it does hurt. You know, I'll be honest. It, it, I mean, it hurts. It. <laughs> I remember when I was 25 years old, not 37, about 12 years ago, I used to obsess about my Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. I used to sit there and like bite my nails, obsessing. And after a while, you just accept it. You can't change it. And and and, and, you, and that that's when you really grow, I think, after that ordeal. Well, I, think that it, I think that it is that leftist cultural dominance of, you know, news organizations, entertainment, and everything else that you guys are talking about that that is is what makes it so important that the outlets that we're involved with continue to speak out and to continue to speak the truth. Tim Cast does that. Project Veritas does that. Post Millennial does that. And we need more outlets like this. We need more venues for for this kind of conversation and for, you know, an expression of reality as opposed to this dogmatic intolerance. Well, we have a question here from Confector. Tyrannus, how do we as a society reinstate journalistic integrity and facts-based news? No narrative, no prefacing with your pet agenda, just true news. How? Well, I'll say become a member at TimCast.com. Because I'm, I'm fairly strict. We've had people message us saying like, hey, this article is poorly framed. And I'll immediately go in and be like, hey, fix this. We had one story where it said, Joe Biden criticized for doing X. And I went in and said, change the headline and story to Joe Biden does X. And that include any relevant commentary after the fact. We don't, I don't want to do stories that are framed negative or positive. Just tell people what happened. As for everybody else, I think, Supporting all of uh, supporting the work of everyone, everyone here. So if, I don't know if you guys want to. Well, I, I would make a statement about the medium of journalism. I think it came out in the last couple of weeks that TikTok has a bigger audience than Google now. Mm-hmm. So print or the the written word account of things. The New York Times and these organizations of propaganda rely upon descriptions of things. So I think doing journalism that's visual, uh, doing journalism that I mean, television has higher credibility than print for a reason. Um, doing first-person observation journalism, uh, uh, reporting as an observation, first-hand observation is the ultimate documentation. That's what you did in Portland. Do journalism where you can see it. We don't have to trust the reporter's depiction of the events, but you can see it with your own eyes and ears. I think that's a start. And just go ahead and go out and do it. Go out in the field. Leave your, you know, your apartment, you know. Go there. We go there. Remember Vice? You used to work for Vice, yeah, right? Yeah, I did. Shane Smith's unique value proposition in Times Square, I saw a billboard that said, we go there. Imagine <laughs> how broken journalism must be when your unique value proposition <laughs> is to go to the place you're reporting on. It's kind of wild. Yeah. But it's, it's like a- that Evelyn Waugh novel, Scoop, where he showed, like the journalist shows up. And to cover a war, and there is no war, and all the journalists who are there are like, shh, don't tell anybody. We're just kind of making it up. That's great. Yeah, I don't know. Do you guys want anything about what we can do to save journalism? Andy? This is a controversial view, but um, uh, I've been spending time in the UK, and the media, the landscape is very different. In, in broadcast television, they actually have a, a, a government agency that enforces rules some guidelines on impartiality on broadcast television. And as a result, on their uh, news channels, you don't have shows like 
that would feature guests that would, for example, just make a statement, let's say, Donald Trump is a fascist and a racist, and then the host just agrees. You, know, you have to have, if for something like that, the, the responsibility is on the host to to challenge or to ask for evidence, or they have a guest of an opposing opinion. Uh, that's not in the American tradition, but I think yeah. as a result, then, then, I mean, all of us have seen some of these shows on MSNBC or some of these equi- right-wing equivalents. and I think it would violate the First Amendment. I don't think we could do it. We yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, putting you know the the the, the legal tradition aside, I just mean yeah. culturally. But uh, oh, for sure. So for I sure. haven't made up my mind quite about that yet. But I think, I mean, they're, 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 in my view, the, uh, the land, the media landscape in the UK, I think, is it's less uh, insane than what we have in America. Did you guys want any, anything else to the that question? I think I think journalists need to ask more questions instead of making assumptions. We see a lot of assumptions in media, uh, especially on TV reporting. And I think that, oh, yeah. uh, you know, more straightforward questions as opposed to questions that lead with a narrative. Do you, I have this meme here, which I don't know if you can see. Yeah, you can that's that really interesting. It's a meme of what journalism used to be. Oh, yeah. The man is running towards the podium asking questions. And now the man is running away from the podium with a megaphone amplifying <laughs> right. the person. So my point, I'm going to say this right into the camera. Journalists, do your jobs. Do your job. It's real, it's real simple, like you just said. Ask questions. Don't trust what they tell you. Bite the hand that feeds you. Oh. Bite the hands that, that feed you. That's what we do at Project Fair. And stop editorializing. I don't care about what you think. I don't want to know what you think. I want to know, I want to see it with my own eyes, or I don't trust it. People say, where do you get your information? From from actual evidence? <laughs> Documents from the Defense Department? And so this is what I love about when they smear you as conspiracy theorists. I'm like, when James O'Keefe publishes a video of a person at a company saying something, where's the conspiracy? Like, what did he <laughs> I don't report up? anything right. in New York to see their lips moving. Like, I need to see the face of the person. And the other thing I'll say is, you know, people say, well, some people won't like it. Well, if there's one person who will listen, tell the truth. There's a point in this book where I was at my nadir in my life where I thought about quitting. And my own mother and sister said, well, if there's a one person that will listen to your journalism, then it's worth doing. Yeah. And that's how low I had to go after my ascent to the highest peak. I was down again and up and down. And and now our audience has grown. Although you have a gold plaque for your million subscribers, yeah. Google has not well, sent that to me to, yet. To, to be fair, James, I'm using one of them as a window uh, <laughs> jam to keep the window open. You have two of them, and no. oh, we've got like uh, yeah, I got a bunch of them. They haven't sent that to us yet. We actually they actually they accidentally sent me two for one of my channels. No, I, yeah, <laughs> you're using it uh, as a door stopper. As, so the window won't stay open. So we jammed the the, the, the golden but, board in it. You know, one, Look, thing, I'm, I'm, one I'm, thing I just want to respond to what you were saying because what you're saying about the megaphone, where the the journalist is now amplifying the yes. message. What happened to question authority, right? This used to be a pretty standard idea in America that we would question authority. And now the new definition of domestic terrorism and domestic extremism is someone who is anti-government and anti-authority. And what just, the hell is that? Yeah. And just really quick, I also wanted to say uh, we're all journalists. If you see an injustice, speak up. Don't be afraid to say anything, to tweet it, to get it out there to the general public because it's us all willing to participate and speak out against injustices that could actually stop it. I used to doorstep a lot of politicians, and I think I almost said exactly what you were saying as I was being dragged out from a Larry Silverstein uh, press conference 
ask questions, demand answers, and of do course, do your jobs. Do your, do your jobs, jobs, please. They're not. They're not going to do it. You will, as an independent journalist, as just an average civilian, you have the power in your hands to broadcast and to sh- uh, shed light on the darkest corners of this world to do it. I got it. I just figured it out. Imagine you have every plumber in the country has stopped fixing plumbing and our bathrooms and our streets are laden with crap. And there's one guy, there's a small handful of people that are actually trying to get the plumbing working again. That crap, that analogy is what's happening in our political space is what's happening with our big institutions because journalists stopped fixing the pipes. They stopped doing their jobs and they've just let the crap flow flow free. We need people to actually do the work and fix it so we can flush this crap. I view it as an opportunity. I, hey, it's a whole I, I view people need to be brave. Do, here's my NPR voice. <laughs> <laughs> be brave. Do something. Veritas tips at protonmail.com. And American Muckraker is the book, and all of the proceeds go to our nonprofit organization, which fun, funds our journalism salaries. But I think you go there, like Andy noted. Go there. Mm. Go go on location, do the job they, they refuse to do, and expose them. We got tear gas together in Greece. We did get tear so gas. So we went there as well. And what uh, did we do? Put milk in our eyes? To I forgot. There was some <laughs> kind of solution that we got. Solution. It was just some some random Relax. person came up to us. There was like, hey, just put this in your eye. Like, I'm, okay, I'm producing. You know, we, we we do all this reporting. I produce it, and Luke here just streams it on Snapchat or something. This is I was Snapchatting back then uh, and doing like yeah. s- small stories in the snippets as we were covering extreme civil unrest in Greece, literally as there was Molotovs being thrown at police officers and <laughs> in, in c- crazy battles in the streets of Athens, Greece that were uh, absolutely crazy during their uh, sequ- what was it? They're, they banned people from taking money out of their bank accounts? Yeah, there was a, yeah and there was one anecdote. We were in Greece and I was holding a camcorder in 2015. This was the time with the economic crisis. And this Greek guy saw me with the camcorder. And these were literal communists. They had a communist flag. And they started marching toward me. And the other guy said, no, no, no. And, I, and in an accent, he said, no, he's an American. And he stopped from assaulting me. Yeah. It was a very powerful moment. Yeah. Don't assault the American. Why do you think that was? It's pretty deep. PR. Yeah, that's Probably. really interesting. My friend was also there. He got put in the hospital because activists beat the crap out of him as he was reporting on the front lines because he took the camera and he put it on the people that were throwing rocks against the police. I mean, we're, this is America, damn it. You know, this is America. And I don't think we're going to become like these other countries. I don't think we can. I think the power of one is too big here. The, pa- the courage is... Courage is too contagious here. I've seen it with my own eyes. I have sources right now inside the Justice Department. I will say it on the record. I was here last time. I was talking to Christopher Ray directly in the camera. I got raided a few months later, so I don't know what's going to happen. Damn, but I've I got sources inside the Justice Department. <laughs> I want that story. Okay? I want to see it. It's too, the courage is too courageous, too exciting. It's too much fun. It's, it's fun speaking truth to power, isn't it? Absolutely. It, there's great joy in fighting. It's so much more fun than the alternative. And and the other thing, too, is like when our, you know, when our culture is big enough, the dominance of the left will decrease. I mean, Andrew Breitbart used to say the day days before he died, Andrew Breitbart said to me, James, they want us on a leash. We're not going to be on a leash. They want us to dance. We refuse to dance with them. Politics will eventually be replaced by imagery. And um, I think people just have to have the courage. They just got to have the courage. Step up. All right, let me read this one here. We got uh, uh, Armino the Pug says, question for everyone. 
At our current rate, do you think that civil unrest and conflict is unavoidable? Is there a possibility of someone embodying the American spirit to bridge the divide we face? What was that last part? Someone embodying the American spirit? The American spirit that can bridge the divide. Interesting. I'm I'm a bit less pessimistic on any kind of, you know, unification between culture war factions. But what do you guys think? Jeffrey Epstein. Well, (laughs) perhaps, but but maybe a more positive figure. No, no, no. He brings together the left and the right against people's condemnation against the the state that abused their power and used taxpayers to hurt children for over 30 years in unspeakable ways. That's a bridge right there. That's a gap that the establishment is is scared of since people on the left and right are tweeting very important aspects of this story that break down this whole entire structure's power. So putting, putting journalists in handcuffs, bring left and right, indicting me for accessory. That's true. That's if they true. indict me for accessory after the fact for a source sending me documents, that'll bring left and right together. And it probably no is choice. self-preservation because they don't want it to happen to them. Yeah. But what about you, Andy? You know, being on the ground and seeing a lot of this extremism, do you think there's a possibility of uniting people in this country? Uh, I thought that the, the beating assault of uh, uh, journalists of color – who happens to be gay, uh, ha- that was caught on camera. I thought that would be kind of a unifying moment, and uh, it wasn't. There right. was a lot of people on the mainstream left who uh, said essentially that I deserved it, that I was such an agitator or that I allegedly hold such deplorable views that what happened to me was deserving and just, and I should it should happen again. It should happen every time I come out. So uh, I, I'm a bit less optimistic of my uh, of the American citizenry. I think in general, I think what's been very clear since the death of George Floyd and going back before us after Michael Brown is there's just been this uh, noticeable shift in more tolerance and political violence. And if uh, I mean you cross this line, you know, of uh, accepting violence as a response to disagreement, then that's how you. That's how you break down civilization and societies and, and eventually st- uh, the state. Man, it's a little dark. I think mm-hmm. we're, right. yeah, I think we're a little far from a unifying moment as well or any kind of unifying figure. We're seeing conservative culture start being on a parallel track, right? Creating its own ecosystem. Um, and I think that's going to continue. You know, like I was just talking to a woman, Sarah Gonzalez, who has a podcast, and she started a makeup line that's essentially like a conservative makeup line. It's made in the U.S. And I was like, that's interesting because I've been talking to people who are starting, you know, I talked to Jason Miller who started his own uh, conservative, basically based social media platform. There's conservative journalism. And now we're going to have a conservative makeup line. It kind of reminded me of when Christian Soriano found out that no one would sign a dress for Melania to wear to the inauguration. And he was like, I'll do it. You know, like we're going to see, I think, more of that as opposed to less of that going forward. I agree. And if you're listening now, smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, go to TimCast.com, become a member. We're going to have a members-only podcast coming up. We post them around 11 or so p.m., so make sure you hit that. You can follow the show at TimCastIRL. Follow us on Instagram if you want clips. You can follow me at TimCast. Does, uh, do you guys want to shout out what you got going on? I don't know, James, shout anything out? New stories or anything else? Oh, your closing book, arguments. your website. I mean, the book is AmericanMuckraker.com. You can buy the book at AmericanMuckraker.com, <laughs> or you can go on Amazon if you want to support Jeff Bezos. Hmm. Um, but uh, the book is really a, a, a seminal work of nonfiction, recounts the journalistic ma- mass movements of today, eye-opening glimpse into guerrilla journalism. There's a part about Andy Noe in this book, Thank chapter you, one, Thank suffering. You. 
and David Delayden. Um, I mean, my closing argument is essentially the image images, images transfix. I think images, the, the you know, Marshall McLuhan once said something to the effect of images will become more powerful than our own politicians. Government is broken. The solution rests with us. And this is a how-to guide on how to do journalism in clown world. Mm. In clown world. You need a handbook, like the Boy Scout handbook. This is what this is for citizen journalists. Right Andy? Uh, my updated book, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy, is coming out uh, on the 1st of February in an updated version and paperback. Uh, so that's available for pre-order now. And uh, I encourage if, if people like my work to to become a supporter at uh, ngo.locals.com. Right on. Thank you. Libby? I think everyone should come to the Post Millennial, read the work mm-hmm. that we've got up. Uh, you can subscribe to the Post Millennial. You can donate and help us out, thepostmillennial.com slash donations. And I'm there every day. I'm on Twitter at Libby Emmons. Sweet. So I'm somewhat close to 1 million subscribers on YouTube.com forward slash We Are Change, which I release videos on routinely. And uh, before we leave, shouts out to Dana White. He dropped some major truth bombs today. I actually talked about that on my LukeUncensored.com video. Hope to see some of you guys there. I've been working really hard lately, and uh, I, I can't thank you guys for all coming and being in the same room. It was a great productive conversation. Thank you guys for uh, putting it uh, all together. Also, Tim, ProjectVeritasExperience.com. We're having a book launch event in Miami, January 29th, projectveritasexperience.com if you want to go. Yes, cool. awesome. I was just going to say, too, if you guys do end up using Amazon, you can donate to Project Veritas. That's true. Amazon Smile, I believe that's what it's called. That's what I use. I thought that was a great finger in the eye of Amazon when I saw that, and I decided to sign up for it. It's awesome. Anyway, you guys may follow me on Twitter at Sarah Patchlitz. We will see you all over at TimCast.com in about an hour. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you there. Bye, guys. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.